This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. All righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. Yes, phone lines are open. 866-577-2473. And as I said before, all phone lines are open. Uh, so if you call in, you'll be the first caller to call in at 866-577-2473. We'll chase to kick off the second half here. Let's talk about... Uh, uh, you mo- want to talk about dividends real quick? I kind of teased with that before we went to break. Oh, right? you did. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just totally forgot about that. It was a long break. Sorry. <laughs> so Jason's trying to get a little uh, secret out of us here, but he says, I know you cannot recommend a company, but a yes or no answer, and I'll diligently look harder for one. Are there any monthly dividend-paying companies that are fundamentally worth investing in that you know of off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, no. Um, most companies pay quarterly. I know some even pay yearly, like Mattel. They used to pay yearly. I do not know of any stocks off the top of my head. I'm sure there are maybe one or two, not very many, that do pay monthly. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't have any off the top of my head, but to me it shouldn't be a factor. I mean, if you pay monthly, quarterly, annually, it, it shouldn't really matter. Right. Um, just because the yield is what the yield is. And I mean, paying monthly, yeah, you might be able to dollar cost average in every month rather than every quarter, but it's going to be a smaller amount anyways. So I, I'm not too concerned about that. And and the big thing I just wanted to point out here is that, again, we're not going to give away any secrets. Right. I will say when it comes to dividend paying companies right now, my favorite industry, I talked about this earlier in the show for dividend stocks is financial companies. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, and again, I, I do want to kind of look at also, too, I mean, you just mentioned about dividend reinvestment. That's a whole other topic we could talk about. Uh, just dealing with a client uh, yesterday that had, um, I don't want to give away the company, what he did, but it was a dividend reinvestment program is what he was doing. He did it for years. Now he wants to get out of it. It's a nightmare oh, yeah. because he he's not sure if he has all the information. So we're trying to put something together. And I said, we got to come up with a best case scenario. So people forget about that. And again, it, you know, he's investing $300 you know, I think a quarter. Um, and the hassle you have to go through, and it's a, a fairly large size portfolio. And I think it was doing it for 20 years, I believe. Um, it is very difficult to redo that. And you'd be far better off taking the dividends, put them in a cash account, and then as we kind of do, and that's what we do for our, for, our, for our clients. I mean, I've done this for years, is we don't reinvest the dividends. We take those dividends, we put them in the cash, and then maybe a year, two years down the road, those dividends can be used to buy either more of that stock at a lower price or another company that's a better buy than that. So I'm not a big advocate of the dividend reinvestment programs. I know they make it sound easy. They don't tell you about the back end, the hassles you go through that are not easy. And I will say things are a little bit different now because the the custodians do kind of track that for you. But if there's an error in the yeah. custodian's data, it's kind of on you to, to find right. that error. But they track it now. But what about, and I've seen this happen, what if down the road five years they're sold to somebody else? Yeah, and they say, "Well, sorry, we didn't get that data." Once again, you're it's it's put it's back. You. It's you, and and again, the IRS says the burns on you. You can't say, "Well, the custodian didn't." That's not their problem. Yep. You're the taxpayer. You got to have that information. So I I do not I will not recommend dividend reinvestment programs. Uh, yeah. I I don't recommend it for that reason. It, it's just right. I think it's the wrong thing to do because you're buying high a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's the main reason we don't right. do the dividend right. reinvestment. And the other thing I want to point out here with to with dividends is. A lot of times people, they're, oh, I'm a, I'm a dividend investor. Right. And I, I've said it before. You have to look at total return. Yeah. If the stock is yielding, let's say, 6%, it might be yielding 6% for a reason. 
Then the stock goes down 20%. Well, now you lost 14%. It's not a a good trade-off there. You you have to find good companies, and then dividends should come second. And we always tell our clients, about 9 out of 10 companies we do invest into do pay a dividend, but we don't invest into them for that dividend. Right. And, And again, all around, dividend reinvesting, I can't give you a good reason why. And again, I've seen the advertisement on TV like, oh, it's so easy. It's like, it's not easy. It's not good. I guess it's easy to get started, but it's not easy to close it up. So I think we said enough about dividend reinvestment. Well, I was talking more just about dividend stocks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you just ha- you just have to be – I'm not saying I hate dividend stocks. Don't get me wrong, but you have to, again, find the right investments because I can't tell you the number of times, too, where they buy a dividend-paying company. Right. And then that company cuts the dividend. Yeah. Well, now why are you in the stock? Now you're starting to say, well, I bought it for the 6% yield, but now it's only yielding 2%. And I don't even like the company. Well, that's a big problem as well. So that's why you have to find businesses. And we always say dividends are like icing on the cake. I like icing on my cakes. I don't like just the cake bread. So, right. you know, I like a little extra benefit there. So it is nice, but you, you have to be careful what you're and, doing with it. And just one more thing on that I'd mention as well. Be sure that they're not borrowing to pay that dividend. Oh, no. That could be another problem because you're, you're weakening your, your company to pay the dividend. Now, there may be a reason for it, but you've got to really understand that. So look at the company. Where's that money coming from? The dividend payout ratio is 120%. Wait a minute. Where are they getting the other 20%? They're probably borrowing it. So understand the business. So already it's, uh, what, about 9.05. Time to talk about real estate. For that, we go to our real estate expert, David Suter. Good morning, David. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. good. Well, it's a hot, hot real estate market still. We want to hear from you because you do actually sell real estate for a better price than anybody else. But I want to hear the topic you're talking about this morning wanted to go over why um, people end up paying too much commission, really, um, and how agents convince sellers to do that. Um, it's kind of inside information. But one thing I found, though, fairly universal is that most folks think their own house is better than the others out there. And so they only see the good points of their own home, and they're blind to all the negatives. And I explained to one client that the freeway noise behind her backyard might scare some buyers away and she said what freeway noise (laughs) (laughs) this is more common than you think so the agents play on this they take advantage of this lack of objectivity on the seller's part and they'll basically agree with the seller how awesome the house is and give the seller an unrealistic price just to get the listing Um, the agent might prepare some statistics and graphs to prove how she sells houses in the area for more money and faster than other agents. And she'll tell the sellers that her marketing techniques will bring more buyers and get a higher price too. The agent will also try to convince a seller that her superior knowledge of the neighborhood is going to lead to a faster sale or a higher price than other agents could get in the end. Um, and, they try to convince it, 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 it the, the long and short of it is the agent's going to convince the seller that she can get more money for that house than other agents. So her high commission is going to be worth it. And lots of sellers fall for this, but I want to go over the facts here. First of all, listing agents don't bring the buyers. 90 95% of all sales in San Diego have a buyer's agent. The buyers shop around on the internet for the houses. Then they find an agent who sh- will show them the houses and represent them and write the offers when they find what they want. So you see the listing agent's main job is to get the house on the multiple listing service and get it out there on the internet on all the real estate websites so the buyers can find it. There's nothing helpful or magical about a listing agent being the self-proclaimed neighborhood specialist. 
since the listing agent isn't the one finding the buyers. Remember, the listing agent promised to get a higher price for the seller, and the seller bought into this since they were already convinced their home was superior. But in the end, the buyer determines what the house sells for, not the listing agent or the seller. The buyer's agent will show the buyer the comps, what similar houses have sold for in the area. So the buyer gets educated, and they're not going to pay too much even if they love the house. The listing agent can't trick the buyer into paying more than the house is worth, than the comps show it's worth. No one wants to overpay. So the listing agents don't find the buyers. That's the key thing that people need to understand. Nor do they have any control over what the buyers will be willing to pay for the home. Ultimately, the seller ends up with the same sales price that the comps determined it to be, and they net less money because they paid too much commission. Um, but Brent, as long as agents can convince sellers that their secret sauce is going to bring higher prices, sellers are going to continue to pay too much commission. Well, Dave, it seems like the, the first sale they make is to sell the selling, uh, the seller on their services. That's the biggest sale they seem to make is to sell them to convince them that, well, pay me this high commission and you're going to do much better. And what you're saying is that's not true because 95% of the sales actually come from the buyer's agent, I guess you're saying. That's right. You know, 30 years ago, before the internet was, in, you know, in part of this market, um, listing agents did play a bigger part. They had to advertise. They ran newspaper ads. Um, they did a lot of things, that, and they would actually be much more instrumental in finding the buyers, but that's just simple, simply not needed anymore. In fact, buyers really don't even want to talk to an agent in the beginning of the process. They just want to kick the tires, go, and then they go on the Internet, and when they finally get ready to pull the trigger, they get their own agent. So listing agents never even meet the buyers. Yeah, and, and I know like Zillow's made it so easy uh, to do that. And they got many times like the videos, they've got many photos and all the information on it. So you really don't need an agent to really start that. And, and again, it's so true what you're saying. And I've, I've thought about that's why, again, people know that I used you to sell my home for the 1% commission. Best job ever. Got the home sold very quickly. Um, but it's just it's a whole different market now with the Internet. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's funny. I, I look at even renting houses or, you know, just kind of looking at properties to, to maybe buy. And you're so right. You just go on Zillow and it's like, oh, that looks good. And then, oh, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go look at the house. And then maybe if I like it, then I'll talk to the agent at that time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's like any age, any salesperson. You don't really want to, when you go to the, you know, go to Best Buy, you kind of want to look around first. And when you're ready to find something or ask questions, then you, you enlist the sales you know, person at that point. But yeah, the, um, um, the, the key that th I, I think as long as people think that the listing agent is bringing that buyer and getting them a higher price and that, that, um, that permeates, I mean, so many people actually fall for this and believe this. And so that's why they're out there paying a lot, a lot of commission. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why, again, I used you because you sold my house uh, a few months ago, did a great job. But I only paid a 1% commission and I have never found anybody. I've, I've seen other ones that kind of trick you like you think you're getting a lower one, but you're really not. You're true. Just plain and simple. 1%, right? Yeah, yep. Straight up. Yep. You betcha. So, well, Dave, let's give you a number so people can give you calls. I know there's a lot of people out there trying to sell their house and they want to get a good deal and they can save thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, 1% versus 2%. You got a million dollar home. That's what? $10,000 you're saving. Yep. So what's your number, Dave? 858. 564-8531. And we'll, um, once again, 858-564-8531. Great. Well, Dave, thank you very much. Uh, I know you're busy this weekend, so thanks for taking the time to call in, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Mm -hmm. Bye.
Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, Dave was kind of talking about the, the salespeople. Right. And, uh, it is funny. Like, when you go into stores, like, I'm not the type of person. Like, I hate when people come up to me and they're like, oh, like, can I help you? And, oh, no, I'm good. And then they come back and keep coming back. I'm like, can you just go away? You know? <laughs> I know. Just give me my time to do it. Yeah. And, and it, it happens, too, in, like, real estate. Sometimes you go look at a house and you just kind of want to look around and they follow you around. And then they'll, mm-hmm. are you okay? Like, do you need anything? And it's like, there is something in sales of being too pushy. Too pushy. You know? Right, right, <laughs> exactly. And it's it's nice the first time, but the, the fifth time it's a little too pushy. Right, and, and actually, people don't know, but Dave's also a doctor. I mean, he he has an MD, or not an MD. I think it's a what is it? Uh, he was an optometrist, I think. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah. that's what he was. Yeah. So, but he, he can fill, in, fill us in maybe next week. Yeah, next, next week. Exactly. Fill us in. Yeah, I think he did a couple of weeks ago. But, <laughs> but anyways, uh, if you can't, uh, if you didn't have the number, you want to call uh, my firm because I have the number eight five eight five four six. 4306. That's 858-546-4306. Uh, we'll put you in, in touch with a Dave to sell your house for 1%. He also does something unique as well. If you're looking at buying a house, he can actually rebate you the 1% extra commission that they normally keep. So if they're going to charge you know, 2% as the buyer, he actually can refund you back 1%. So you can really make a lot of, not make money, but save a lot of money yeah. using Dave Suter as, as your realtor. Great guy, great guy too. I love talking to him and his wife. Uh, they're a great couple. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I saw we had on Facebook, uh, Vincent, what, what's Vincent want to know about? Uh, well, Vincent actually made a comment on Tesla, but I, I think that was it. He just said that a firm raised Tesla's target to $700, but the stock price was trading at $770. <laughs> and I, I've seen that with this and other momentum stocks is that increases the stock price somehow, but it is what it is. Um, we did have another thing on Facebook, though, that actually wanted to look at, Robert wanted to look at uh, MPW. Uh, studies held it close to two years now, figured it would have done better post-COVID than what it has. And I'm going to maybe disagree here a little bit with Robert. We're not in post-COVID yet. So, right. Uh, <laughs> That's true. It could be a problem. <laughs> uh, and actually, I, I did want to talk. We'll come back to Robert. But okay. I, I did, since I mentioned Vincent, I, Vincent, I his pulled up because he wanted to talk about uh, Gilead. And oh, I didn't see that one. You didn't see it? Yeah. Uh, Vincent, uh, Facebook, Gilead. Uh, so I do want to kind of go over that because that's one that we held and uh, we sold at a very good price. So I'm kind of curious where it stands now. Uh, Gilead Sciences Incorporated, symbol G-I-L-D. They were kind of early in the COVID with some uh, drug to kind of help make it more, the, the symptoms not so bad. So uh, looking at the fundamentals here, we got a PE ratio of 65.5 versus not material for the industry. Price of sales, 3.4. That's very good because the industry is 12. Uh, unfortunately, price to book value, not very good. 203 versus 12.9. And the price of cash flow checks in at 29.9. And the industry is not material. Looking at their dividend yield, it's 4.3%. We talked about dividends earlier. Their payout ratio, 268%. That's a warning sign. They could cut that dividend or they borrowing for that dividend. Understand where that dividend is going to do. And then also, too, what is their objective going forward with that dividend? I'm talking about the company. Sales are up 3.5% year over year. Industry up 13.2%. So that's not very good. Earnings per share fell by 54%. And the industry is down 6.9%. Look at the balance sheet. This is not that great either. You got a good current ratio, 3.3 versus 4.1. But the debt to equity, 168 versus 49 and I'll go to debt to equity, maybe 120, maybe 125, but 170 almost. That, that, that just worries me a lot. 
Uh, net profit, I'm sorry, return on equity is 6.7 versus a negative 19.5. Net profit margin is 5.5 versus a negative 27.3. And then receivable turnover, 6.4 versus 4.9. That is good. And inventory turnover, 5.1 versus 2.2. That is good. I'm very curious what the earnings are going forward, Chase. Yeah, so current price here for Gilead is $63.04, 52 week high $85.97, and the 52 week low is $56.56. Now, one thing I did kind of want to point out on the debt to equity, when we held it a few years ago, I remember even when they're in the hundreds, they were buying back stock. Yeah. And what they're doing is when you buy back stock, it kind of changes your capital allocation, so to speak. So you're using cash to buy back stock that reduces the amount of cash you have on the balance sheet. Your debt stays the same. Now that's going to increase your total right. debt to equity. So that is kind of something that I think might be a reason why their debt to equity is so high. you think they're still high. buying back stock, you think? It Maybe. could be. I, I hope they're buying back more stock here because they were buying it back at 100, <laughs> which turned out to be a terrible investment. Yeah. Um, but kind of looking forward here, December 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share $6.58 would give us a target sell price of $106.60. So that looks good in terms of valuation, but that debt to equity, I, I, it's not the same company that we held years ago that I, I'm enticed to get back into. I did want to say I think the dividend looks pretty safe. Uh, if you look at the pre-exempt earnings for 2020, it's $6.61. The gap earnings is one cent. So that's why I think their dividend payout ratio is so high. And I, I think what's that stemming from it is likely I know that they were doing a lot of acquisitions. So it could be right. integration costs and, and just kind of write offs, things of that nature. That's not really a cash expense, right. but it's still worth the research. I'm not saying, yeah, you're in the clear. I, I'm guessing you are, but I'm not 100% sure. You have to make sure you understand their cash flow is fine that they can cover that dividend. Yeah. And, and also, too, I mean, I, I, I you know, I think this company, we don't hold any longer, so we don't watch it that closely. Uh, just kind of when you see it pops up, like, oh, yeah, we used to hold them. Uh, I think they did do some acquisitions over the last year or so, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, so so that is going on. But uh, I can't say buy it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just got too many too many risk things there, other better things out there. All righty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I got a comment. This is, I think, the slowest show we've had in, in years for phone calls. I think yeah, we, we had, what, two phone calls so far? Surprising, yeah. Surprising, yeah. So, you know, maybe everybody else is watching the political craziness going on <laughs> and they're not worried about investing at this point in time. <laughs> it could be. So, um, well, let's also, you, you did want to bring up uh, Robert uh, on Facebook about MPW. Uh, let's look at some numbers on that and, and talk about that. I, I got to actually pull it up. Uh, I got to find my mouse here again. It kind of disappears on me. Um, and... And they are a medical property REIT. And, and so you're talking about, and he said the end of COVID. We're, we're, you're right. We're not at the end of COVID yet. But th- this is quite the company when I, when I look at the numbers on this one here. And it is kind of surprising because, you know, hospitals aren't making more money because of COVID. No. You, you know, it, it's they actually make a lot of their money from uh, elective surgeries and so forth. Right. So it, it's, and medical property REITs doesn't make money. Like by being a hospital, they own the real estate and collect the rents from hospitals. So I just kind of want to clear that up for people as well. Yep. yep. So uh, again, the company's Medical Property Reads Trust, symbol MPW, PE ratio 24.4 versus not material for the industry. Price of sales 9.6 versus 2.3. Price to book value 1.6. That's the same as the industry. And price of cash flow, very good. 16.4. The industry is at 450. I get a nice dividend here, 5.1%. Uh, 
It does show dividend payout ratio of 132, but again, this is a REIT, so things are a little bit different here. Uh, we do see sales. Uh, they were up 51% year-over-year, industry down 9.1, and earnings per share from uh, medical property REITs was up uh, 7.2, industry down 183. Uh, no current ratio, it is a REIT. Uh, total debt to equity, 113, better than half the industry at 281, so that's a big positive there. Return on equity, 6.8, not that high, but the industry is negative, 2.7. Net profit margin, 38.6 versus negative 4.4. And then receivable turnover, 3.2 versus 6.5. Chase, tell us about the earnings or the funds flow from operations <laughs> going forward. <laughs> yeah, so current price here for medical properties, trust. $21.07, 52-week high, $24.29, and 52-week low is $12.35. I go out to December 2021. I do see estimated, oh, excuse, I don't know what I'm thinking here, estimated earnings for sure. You <laughs> screwed with my head. Sorry. I'm looking at FFO, funds from operation. Again, we look at that for real estate investment trust. That for 2021 is $1.70. Would give us a target sell price of $27.54. So, I mean, I, I like this company. It looks good in terms of valuations. The balance sheet's clean. The other thing that's interesting about this company is they do what's known as a triple net lease, which makes the cash flow much more kind of predictable. So yeah. they're not going to have as many expenses as other landlords might. Like they pretty much lease the land and let people do what they want. And they're in charge of their operating expenses on their own. So I like that in REITs because it's going to have a lot more predictability, which is always good when you invest. Yeah, and, and it's also nice to kind of put that in the, in the portfolio and, and allow people, oh, i got to put real estate in there. Be careful what you put in there. This is, I think, a nice play. And what's also nice about it, too, is that I don't see hospitals going away. I mean, we talked about you now there's people out there that have real estate that is in uh, shopping malls and stuff like that. That has some danger to it. Now, yeah. maybe it comes around. But I, I just like this one because it, it is a stable one, and I, I don't think going to make you know fifty percent gain on it. But I think going to have a nice stable return over a three, four, five year period. And it, it is so important that people understand what a read is because it trades on the New York Stock Exchange, mm -hmm. so it trades like a stock. Oh, I don't want it because it's a stock. No, it 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 is real estate. You own <laughs> real estate, and and right. that's where people kind of lack of knowledge when it comes to investing. Kind of, I'd rather buy a house or something because I want real estate. This is what they do. It's a trust, and they buy different properties. Again, they're not a business where they're selling services, selling products. It is actual real estate is what you own. And when you buy into medical property REITs, you own a piece of that real estate in theory. Yeah. So it is a, a diversification aspect that you can add to your portfolio to give you that exposure to real estate without having, let's say, single property risk, which you actually get when you buy a single property. So it, it is a nice piece to add to the portfolio and get nice dividends from it as well. And as always, kind of joke is that uh, when you own a piece of property and you're the, the, uh, renting it out, uh, you'll never get a call in the middle of the night saying, hey, my toilet's overflowing with a REIT. Like, nope, that's Bang. all taken care of for you. And you get a nice dividend yield. You get, yeah, so good, nice easy way to do it. It's going to enjoy your life. And I, I will tell you that it does move up and down. Yeah, the, yeah. Stock, the, the, the REIT's price is going to move up and down in the short term. But I've said it before, if you look at, how the real estate market works. Real estate prices move up and down too. Can you imagine if somebody came up to you every millisecond of the day, knocked on your door and said, I'll give you a million dollars. I'll give you 990,000. I'll give you 1.2 million. I'll give you 995,000. That's what the stock market is. You just see it. It doesn't mean you have to sell. Right. So 
understanding what a REIT is can really be a big benefit to investors to get that that real estate piece into your portfolio. Yep. All right. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Chula Vista and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, right to your opinion of CMC. Uh, is that Commercial Metals Company? Right, okay. right. And uh, Jim, do you hold that, looking at buying it? Uh, where do you stand there? Just per just purchased some yesterday. Okay. All right. So let's take a look at uh, Commercial Metals Company, symbol CMC. Uh, a good start here, Jim. I mean, PE ratio 9.7 versus 45. Uh, price of sales is good as well, 0.5 versus 1.4. Price of tangible book value, 1.5 versus not material for the industry. And then price of cash flow, 6.1 versus 13.5. So, so far looking pretty good based on the valuation ratios. We do see a dividend of 2.1%. They only use 20% of their earnings to pay that out. Unfortunately, we do see sales are down 6% year over year. Industry was actually up 0.9. Earnings per share, however, climbed by 34% when the industry was down 45. So that's a big positive over the industry. We do see a current ratio of three versus 2.1, so good liquidity there with the company to pay their bills. Uh, total debt to equity, 57, half the industry at 103, so I like seeing that. Return to equity is 15.8 versus 10. Net profit margin, 5.1 versus 3.1. And we do see receivable turnover, 5.3, not quite as good as the industry at 7.6, but the inventory turnover is 6.9 better than the industry of 5.9. So a lot of things I like here on this I'm seeing. Chase, what are you going to see on the earnings there? And I will say this is a, a steel company. Oh. And uh, steel is one of the areas that, that I, I pointed to uh, this last week is of interest. I, I think it, it could do very well under, you know, the new administration mm -hmm. and a new Congress and so forth. And, and uh, you know, infrastructure is quite important that, that we need to have. And I, I'm just kind of reading here what the company does. And uh, one other thing they do is they provide fabricated steel products used to reinforce concrete, primarily in the construction of commercial and non-commercial buildings, hospitals, convention centers, industrial plants, power plants, highways, bridges, arena stadiums, and dams. And that's so important because we know that, gosh, years ago, we got, I think, like a, a D-plus or something on our infrastructure, <laughs> yeah. and we need to rebuild our highways. We need to rebuild those dams. I mean, can you imagine if a dam burst? That would just oh, be yeah. that, damn shame, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we got some puns going on today. I know. Um, but, yeah, it's thinking the same thing we are talking is that steel is not just like steel buildings, but it's the rebar. I think that's correct. That goes in concrete. Um, and you start doing highways. And I think the highways on the, the freeways and stuff, I believe that concrete is like a foot thick. That's why you never see potholes on the freeway. They make it so thick, filled with steel. It's very strong. A lot of steel there. So this one, I haven't got the earnings yet, but I, I, I like so far what I'm hearing. I like the concept here. Current price, though, $22.56. 52-week high is $24.16. And 52-week low is $10.76. Now I got to August 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.65. Here's the downside here. That would give us a target sell price of $26.73. as about 20% away from the current price. We normally like to buy things when it's 30%. But the positive side here is there is room for appreciation. It's not overpriced or anything. And I think it's in a, a good industry to be looking at. And, and uh, Jim, what did you pay for? You said you bought it uh, earlier. Did you get it at a lower price? Yeah. Uh, let's see. It was down about $0.90 cents 
when I bought it, and okay. it finished down at 60 cents. And uh, after market, it's up 40 cents. Okay. I okay. guess I'm up about 70, 70 cents or so on 500 shares. Yeah, yeah you, you probably have a price appreciation of about probably 30, about 25%, not quite 30%. But uh, I was going to say we could see it increase soon, but they're in a fiscal year, uh, August, so we won't see much change in that. But we could see more positive news coming out for the infrastructure rebuild. We're almost done with all the craziness, maybe, on the political side and get on with running the country, uh, that they may start talking more about the uh, uh, infrastructure rebuild could actually increase the earnings per share going forward, increase in target price. So so I, I, I like the buy. You may have bought it maybe a little bit too early, but you know I think it's a good one. I'd definitely hold on to it. All righty? Right, right. I have another question for sure. you. There aren't many followers right now. Uh, it's, it seems that all, all the stock market pretty much is just an expansion of uh, P.E. ratios and just the general public running in to buy stocks. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that uh, somewhere down the road, this thing is going to fall off a, a cliff down here because you have the, the debt rising. And yesterday, as I was watching CNBC, markets down 40, 60, 80. And all of a sudden, Biden has a speech, and Biden's <laughs> talking, oh, the interest rates are only 0%. We're going to borrow trillions of dollars. And all of a sudden, the market turns around, goes up 40, goes up 60, and so forth. Uh, I, my understanding is we're spending about $3 billion a day just paying interest on this uh, low interest debt we have now. Uh, I, I don't understand where all this is going somewhere uh, We'll be thirty trillion in the hole by the next time. Time the next year's over, and I just feel the wheels are going to come off the cart somewhere. I, I don't. I don't know where. And margin debt's at its highest. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, you, you know, you go by the you go by the premise of sixteen times earnings. Uh, I find it pretty hard to find anything. I, I dug this little one out, but uh, find anything that's reasonable as far as fundamentals are concerned out there. And, and, and I. You know? Yeah, and, and you're so correct because, I mean, this is a time that a good investor is being patient, looking for good values. And you're not always going to find that. I had the same situation back uh, in, in 2008. I had the same situation in, in 1999, and people thought I was crazy because I wasn't buying the high flyers. I was very patient. Uh, the same thing here. And when you talk about things falling apart, it's not the whole market. The high flyers right now, and I forget, like, the, the – Facebook and Amazon, they make up about 23% of the... Well, now Tesla's bigger than Facebook, so yeah. it's, that's your top five. Yeah. And, and so the markets can pull back because just those companies by themselves drop 20 30%, but it doesn't mean like a company like you pulled out here. Uh, I've, I've, I don't have it pulled up right now. Commercial, whatever the company is. Commercial good, Metals good, or something. Yeah, yeah Commercial it, Metals company. Yeah, a good business like this will not fall because it has earnings. And maybe it'll fall a little bit because of the market, but it'll come back very quickly because there's a lot of money out there looking for safe investments. And I mean, as I said, things can go down 90% like Cisco did during the tech bust. Yeah. And what happens is you look at value companies during the tech bust, value was actually positive for the mm -hmm. first couple of years of the tech bust, even though the market was doing poorly. And I, I think that's what you're going to see. And I, I, I do agree with you here, Jim. I, I think that the debt is you know going to continue to rise unfortunately but we still do have a lot of assets that we can kind of back that debt up with here in the united states so if you look at the debt to equity essentially for the united states we're still in an okay position i'm not thrilled about all the new debt coming on but the other thing too is you have to remember years ago we have debt now coming off gosh back in the 80s what interest rates were at 
15% for a 10-year note. I mean, the 30-year note. So you have this high interest rate debt that's rolling off. And now we're essentially refinancing at lower interest rates. And again, I want to be clear, I'm not thrilled about it, right. but it is still something that I believe is manageable. Right. So, yeah, so you bring up some good points. And what you have to do is you have to be very smart when it comes to investing and not get sucked into the hype. And this is what happens. Like people say, oh, well, you didn't buy Tesla. So, oh, yeah, I can better buy it now. Don't ever do that. Just stick to the fundamentals of investing. You'll do fine. And it's kind of like, uh, and, and these are all fables that I use, but the, the three little pigs, you know, the, the one that, you know, built a, a straw. He was first one done, had fun, everything else. The one building the house with bricks took him a lot longer. But when the storm came, he was fine. Same thing here. You'll be fine when the storm comes because you're buying fundamentally strong companies with the other people. They're going to lose a lot of their money. So. Stay the course, well, even Jim. Even Microsoft has a PE <clears throat> in excess of 30. Now. Yeah, yep, yeah. How, how, how do you guys invest people that come to you now? If, if someone comes to you with a portfolio and they want to invest with you, how, how do you invest people in stocks when the PEs are so high and the fundamentals are so out of whack now? I mean, you know. Well, and we just tell them we're very patient. We're, we're doing a few buys, but we may only have maybe 20, maybe 25% of the portfolio invested, and we're willing to wait because we're not investing for the short term. We're saying, where will we be three, four, five years from now? So if we got to wait six months or whatever it may be to buy some great companies, we'll wait. I, and I don't try to impress people like, wow, look at what we got. It went up for the month. We don't care about that. We care about the long term uh, of how we're doing. So it's, it is a hard time. Yeah, I mean, you're so right, too, with Microsoft. It's a great company, and you know it was a value company, actually, for years, and, and now it's not a value <clears> company. And I mean, even I was quite frustrated with Barron's last week. They pointed out Disney as a value company, and they said, yeah, it, it trades at a pretty expensive PE uh, for this year of 76 times earnings. That is not a value company. And they, they tried to make the justification saying, <coughs> well, if they traded like Netflix at 10 times sales, they would be worth $300 a share. <laughs> That is not fundamental investing. That is trying to justify an opinion here and buying things that are very, very expensive to try and get what's hot in the market right now. And as Brent said, we're, we're patient. We're, we tell our clients, we'll wait. And the thing is, those 10% corrections come around and we'll wait until we get something on sale till we find a good business at the right price. Yeah, we, we've had people come to us and then they, they leave six months later like, oh, you didn't buy anything and you didn't do very much. It's like, that's okay. That's not our philosophy. Our philosophy is to buy good prices. And they don't realize that the, I think a big factor of investing is one, emotions. You can't have emotions. But number two is patience. You've got to be patient to get that right price. And nobody thinks just because we, we do invest right now primarily in stocks. We have real estate stuff in the portfolio. But I mean, we're still being patient with it. That's how investors make money, by being patient, not being the guy that goes out and just buys everything because it's up. And, and you mentioned, you know, Disney, you mentioned, you know, Microsoft. Well, even Home Depot, I think, trades at 30 times earnings. When the average for the history is like 17, we're in a crazy time. So if we can't buy anything now, that's okay. I don't want to lose my client's money long term. I'll be patient, maybe make a little bit now. But when the time comes, we'll buy some good companies at good prices and they'll do much better longer term. So just remain patient there, Jim. You're, you're on the right track, I think. Hey, thank you, guys. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head up to Escondido and speak with 
Marty. And I just noticed that uh, Brendan's not in the booth, so I don't <laughs> think we can, we can do that. So we got to chat a little bit. So Marty, just hold with us for a quick. I think he had an important phone call in there. He had to step out of the studio. Um, but, but, you know, talking uh, about that, that's so important. And, again, when people do come over now, we do talk about all the fundamentals, how we do things and so forth. But what we actually do also mention is that it's going to be a while before we invest. And it could be tomorrow. It could be on Monday. Everything goes down. Oh, great. We'll, we'll buy. But you got to be very patient. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. I think Brennan's ready for He's back uh, in the booth. Okay, so let's go out to uh, Escondido and speak with Marty. Marty, you're in the Smart Investor over on Chase. How can we help you? Uh, same thing as he was talking about. What about U.S. Steel? How's it, how do you rate that? Oh, yes, yes, U.S. Steel. So uh, do you hold that or looking to buy it? No, I hold it. I've held it for about uh, a year now. Okay. And a year, I think. Are you up now in it, or, or what do you? Start? I'm almost double. Almost doubled. Okay, so yeah. good spot to be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Let's take a look at the United States Steel Corporation. Their symbol is X, as in X-ray. Uh, unfortunately, at this point in time, no PE ratio, about the same as the industry. But price to sales still look pretty good at 0.45 versus 0.74. Price to book value, 1.4 versus 2.4. That's positive but no price of cash flow either versus six for the industry. Now they pay a dividend of 0.2%. Not even sure why they bother doing that, but that's what they pay. We do see year over year sales are down 27.5%, worse than the industry down 18.4. And while earnings per share for US Steel fell by 400% when the industry was actually up 62%. The balance sheet for US Steel, you got a current ratio of 1.7 versus 2.1, that's okay. Debt to equity, a little bit worrisome here, 142 versus 75 for the industry. And I kind of said earlier in the show, I'm okay with maybe 120, 125. 142 gets a little bit worrisome for me here. Return to equity, a negative 49 versus negative 5 for the industry. Net profit margin is a negative 18.8 for U.S. Steel. Wow, versus a negative 1.4. And we do see receivable turnover is 8 above the industry at 6.9. And inventory turnover 5.7. Also, better than the industry at 3.7. What do you got for the earnings going forward, Chase? Yeah, so current price here for U.S. Steel is $22.29. 52-week high, $23.28. And, wow, 52-week low, $4.54. So it's really exploded off that low there. Now I got to December 2021. I'm a little disappointed here. The estimated earnings per share is actually a loss of $0.26. Cents. Now, one thing I will point out, the high estimate here is $2.47, and the low estimate is $1.75. So huge, huge disparity between these analysts. And this is one thing we looked at U.S. Steel, I remember, several years ago, and we didn't pull the trigger on U.S. Steel because it's, I'm going to say, a little bit more risky of a steel company. They seem to do really, really good when things are good in steel, but they also do really, really poorly when things are struggling in steel. And I think a lot of that stems from their cost of producing steel. I know when we looked at them, their methodology of producing the steel was much, much more expensive than some of the other large steel companies. So that kind of steered us away from this one. And, you know, Marty, with the estimated earnings at a loss right now, my opinion would be it doubled it. I think it, it might be time to, to sell. I mean, I know we would sell it if you came over to us just with these numbers here. And also yeah, I, bought, I bought it when you talked about it the last time I did buy it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and what could happen is, is that U.S. Steel, again, they have no earnings going forward. But what could happen is a lot of these companies could rise, you know, the, the tide rises, rises all boats. Is right. that just because in that industry they could rise further. But I think there's other better companies out there that would probably do better. And, again, right now, as you just talked about, I mean, things are very expensive. 
And it's not like you and I and Chase or anyone that knows about, okay, infrastructure rebuild, it's really getting out there. So you're paying a high price for these things. Um, it jumped on Friday like to dollar and eighty four cents. It jumped up on Friday for some reason. I thought maybe something they made some announcement that I'd missed. Yeah, and one so. thing thing too that I always tell people. I mean, we've sold companies and that we sold them and they went up beyond that price from there. But we sold right. for a reason. Same thing here is yeah. that you know you, you, this company is definitely fully valued. What could happen? I'd hate to say this, but you know, Joe Biden. Well, we're not going to do the infrastructure yet. We're going to wait a bit longer. This stock would probably go down at least in half. Here's, here's one thing I'm thinking for you, Marty, is you could sell this U.S. steel. You lock in your, your big profit. And then, I, as I said, I, I think steel is a good place to be. And I think maybe a good decision would be to sell this one and look at a safer steel company. And just in case the wheels fall off the wagon, so to speak, in the infrastructure deal, and then you're not going to have the catastrophic loss you would have in U.S. steel, but you're still exposed to a safer steel company. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's what I wanted to know. Thanks very much. Okay, Marty, have a good one. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Investor over in Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Calling to get a professional opinion on what in the heck's going on with WD-40. Well, it's not one we follow. I do. You hold that, Steve, or, or what? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. Well, let's uh, take a look at it here. We'll see what's going on. See if we can even see if it's a good uh, good buy. I, I've known WD forty for years. It's always been a great investment. So let's see what's going on here. Ticker symbol for WD forty is WDFC. Interesting. All right. So a PE ratio of fifty seven. That's double the industry at twenty four. Uh, price of sales nine point five versus three point nine. Price to book value, 58, that is better than the industry because the industry is not material. Price to cash flow, also expensive, 51.7 versus 17.7. Now, they do pay a small dividend of about 0.9%. Using 51% of their earnings to pay that out, that surprises me. That's not that high of a yield, and you use half your earnings to pay that out. Actually worries me a little bit. We do see sales are up 3.3% year over year. Industry is up 14, so that's not good. Uh, earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months did climb by 14.6%. That's good, but the industry did climb at 31.6. Look at the balance sheet. It looks pretty good. A current ratio 3.1, double the industry at 1.5. Debt to equity, very good, 66 versus 102 for the industry. Return to equity is 45 versus 49. Net profit margin for WD40, well, that checks in at 16.6. Just uh, slightly ahead of the industry at 15.9. Looking at receivable turnover, not as good as the industry. It's 5.4. Industry is 11.4, so that's not good. And inventory turnover, 4.6 versus 6.5. And that's probably not as good uh, either. What do you got for the earnings going forward, Chase? Well, so current price here for WD-40 is $301.15, 52-week high, $320 flat, and 52-week lows, $150. $51.16. And I was kind of looking here. It did pop about 12% yesterday. So I'm curious what moved it yesterday to get such a, a large increase. But the downside of WD40, and I know when we've looked at it in the past, I, I'm just blown away with why it trades at such sky high valuations. I mean, <clears throat> I go to August 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.88. We apply a 16.2 multiple on that. We get a target sell price of $95.26. I mean, it, it's just 
it's that's very very expensive yeah and as i said it's trading about 50 times earnings i think is what i said yeah, um, 51 times future earnings even. yeah yeah 51 times future yeah see and again this is one of these companies that i believe is going to fall and i think it has this valuations because it is a reoccurring revenue i mean i i love wd-40 best thing ever and i think they they own three and one oil so it's mm -hmm. a, an ongoing you know business that they're going to keep on doing it but the price of it is just too expensive and i can't tell you where the top is but i i gotta say steve i i would be selling this company it's just way too expensive it's nothing can last at these lofty levels forever and you can see wd-40 cut in half so I, i'd have to say sell it yeah, that's um, that's kind of what I was thinking. I've been buying it back when it was fifty dollars a share, and I'm thinking about the numbers, and it's just might be time to take some profit. Yeah, and I, I remember when they were like forty, fifty dollars a share, they were actually a pretty good price. Like, yeah, good company, good cash flow, and all all the basic fundamentals. But they've gone off the window, uh, and you know, three hundred dollars a share, it, it just is way too pricey. Yeah, I mean, I, I did kind of look at what the earnings growth is estimated to be between 2022 and this year, and I mean, it's a, about a 6.7% gain in the earnings. So what that means is the stock, if it were to go 6% higher, well, now you're still trading at 51 times earnings. So you need multiple expansion. Is the stock going to go to 70 times earnings to get that <laughs> growth? I, I'm i not sure. So it, it is a, a concern. I, I'd bet it's more likely you'd have multiple compression rather than expansion here, which would hurt the stock price. Yeah, so nothing goes to the moon. So that's what you got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Have a good day. You Bye. too. Bye. All right, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Mount Laguna and speak with Carl. Carl, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. How you doing? Yeah, I've, been a, I've been acquiring an infrastructure play called. Uh, uh, well, it, it was a it's a steel company, um, and uh, the Trump administration put uh, tariffs on uh, imported steel. Uh, so about two years ago, I started acquiring. Uh, gosh, what is it? I gave it to your producer. Oh, Cleveland Cliffs Incorporated. Cleveland Cliffs, yeah. And uh, so I've been acquiring them about over the past two years and uh, just wondered if it's if it's time to um, get rid of some of it. I've got about 6,000 shares at this point and uh, just wonder if, you know, it's it's reaching 52-week highs. Is it a time to buy more or hold okay. or sell? Yeah, well, we'll look at the numbers. And I, I, we held this company years ago in our portfolio, and I think they had something different. It wasn't just steel. I want to say it was iron ore or something, something that they did. I don't know if you remember Chase, but was it aluminum? No, that was, was I think aluminum. Yeah, but, but yeah, they do. Uh, coal. They, they mine coal and then uh, convert it into rolled steel. Yeah, and, and I know this company actually filed bankruptcy years uh, ago as well, so kind of cleaned up the balance sheet. But let, let's take a look at the numbers here, so we'll talk more as we go along here. Well, it Come, used to be Cliffs Natural Resources, yes. I remember, and then it merged with. Cleveland, to Cleveland, become yeah. Cleveland Cliffs. <laughs> Still has the same symbol though, CLF. Uh, unfortunately, here, uh, 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 Carl, there's there's no PE ratio, which means no earnings over the last 12 months. Uh, price to sales two, that's better than the industry at 2.8. Price to tangible book, book value 15.1, almost three times the industry at 4.8, and price to cash flow is 60 versus 23. So that's pretty expensive valuation ratios. Uh, we do see that the sales were up 68% year-over-year, year, industry down 105 
We do see earnings per share were negative or down 110%, but the industry was down 240. Here's what really worries me. Now, I, I know this company filed bankruptcy before. Their balance sheet, well, they got a current ratio of 2.2 versus 2.5. That's okay. But now their debt to equity, again, is 531 versus 128. It appears that either their equity is very low or they brought on a lot more debt once again. And I've known companies that have filed bankruptcy two, three times over 10, 20 years. So you want to be very careful of them doing a repeat uh, act as they did before. Uh, return to equity is a negative 21 versus a negative 5.9. Uh, net profit margin is negative 2.5 versus a negative 3.5. Receivable turnover is 8.9, not as good as the industry at 10. Inventory turnover 3.1 versus 2.8. So Chase, I'm a little bit worried with this company. What are, what are the earnings like going forward? So we'll begin current price here for Cleveland Cliffs is $18.04. Right near 52-week high of $18.60 and well off the 52-week low of $2.63. Now we got to December 2021. I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.26. I mean, it would give us a very nice target sell price of $36.61. So I love the valuation on this company, but the, the high debt is just something we would not touch. I mean, you've done very, very well on it kind of rolling the dice here with a, such a high debt company. And also I do want to point out that there's only three analysts that follow this company. Yep. The highest $3.15, the lowest $1.60. Uh, that 315 really brings it up quite a bit. And only three analysts. We, we like to have, I like to have like four to five on a minimum, not three. So I, and this company, I, I think it's going to maybe ride the wave perhaps of the infrastructure rebuild, but fundamentally it just doesn't justify it. So I think you said you had a, a good profit in it. Um, I'd, I'd have to recommend if you came to us, we would say, yes, let's sell it. Doesn't mean it won't keep going higher, but I can't justify why it would. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. Sounds you're, good. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. All righty. You had a quick comment there, Chase? Yeah, I was going to say on, on high debt companies, it's so hard because sometimes you're going to miss really good companies mm-hmm. that actually do get it resolved and right. that they will get their debt fixed. And you missed it. And what happens to these companies that do fix their debt problem is generally the stock does quite well. But the problem is there's other companies that don't get the debt issue resolved and they go bankrupt <laughs> and you lose everything. So it, it's just not worth the gamble to us to, to take these chances. I mean, it's the same thing with these high valuations. We won't take that chance on a high-flying company. We won't take that chance on a high-debt company just because I don't want to lose everything. Right. And, and I do want to point out when we do this here, I mean, we, we are talking about we're trying to point in the right direction. I mean, you could actually go to the balance sheet to find out that, yeah, they have been buying back a lot of stock. They brought their equity down so low, so their debt has actually been going down. But because the equity went down even more, that could be a problem. So when we give that to you, this is what we see. Now, again, you got to always look deeper than, than what we say here. We're trying to point in the right direction because based on what we see, it does not look good. But you dig deeper, sometimes they, yeah, but I uh, this, well, in a, in a three to four minute, you know, analysis, we don't have time to look at that for you. But even at that point, at 500% debt to equity, I will never justify that. Even if you look <laughs> into the numbers and say, oh, well, yeah, they've, they've repaid $100 million of debt and their debt's declining. Okay, well, they still have a yeah. long way to go. And if they hit some hiccup, now they're going to have an increase in debt and you're going to have problems. So there are some red flags that I don't care how you justify it, how you spin it, we would never take a chance on. Yeah, and, and, it, and even with that, I mean, it is... And again, I'm just kind of being the devil advocate here is that uh, what if their cash flow is very good? You know, what if they had a lot, you know, and maybe their equity had fallen down to $100, but yet their debt wasn't that high. So, I mean, 
what I'm trying to point out is that, and I want people to know, and I hope they know this, that we're trying to just look very quickly at analysis because this is how we decide what we're going to buy a company at. But it doesn't mean we'll do this, oh, we're going to buy the company. We say, okay, this is worth looking into. Let's find reasons why not to buy this company. Uh, and if we can't find any, we'll, we'll buy the company. So I just want people to realize that we are trying here to show them what direction to go. Doesn't mean when we say sell it, based on what we're seeing, we say sell it. Their job is to look to find out why we were wrong. If they come back saying, well, yeah, but this was this. Like, yeah, you're right. Glad you found that. So, And I mean, it's kind of a good point, too, on the opposite side. Sometimes we'll say a company looks good. And then we'll yeah. actually start research on it and be like, oh, there was this little point here in the 10Q yeah. that, no, we're not going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Investing, simple, but not easy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. A phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head up to Oceanside and speak with Don. Don, you're in the Smart Investor over in Chase. How can we help you? Yes. Good morning. Um, I would like to have you uh, check out a company that actually I bought uh, about a year ago called Next Era Energy, N-E-E. -E. Okay. And, and I see it. It looks like it's Nextera Energy. Um, kind of a weird name there. I, yeah. So, but That's okay. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we got, I think we got the right company. Okay. Symbol is N-E-E, -E, so I think we're okay. Uh, P-E ratio, 40.7 versus 33.7. A little bit pricey. Uh, price of sales, very pricey, 8.7 versus 2.6. Price to book value, 4.8 versus 2.4. And then price to cash flow is 20.5 versus 19.5. We do say, uh, see a dividend here of 1.7%. They use 68% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, sales year over year were down 4.2%. Industry was down 1.5. However, earnings per share over the last 12 months, year over year, up 18.2%. But the industry is up 150%. Taking a look at the balance sheet, got a current ratio of 0.6 versus 0.8. That's a little bit worrisome there. I would like to see that a little bit higher. Uh, debt to equity, 130 versus 135. And again, that's in that caution zone when I get kind of nervous being above 120. We do see return to equity is 10.6, beating the industry at 6.2. Net profit margin checks in at 18.8 versus 7.6. So that's a very good net profit margin. Receivable turnover 6.6 .6 versus 6.9, and inventory turnover 5.2, better than the industry at 3.6. Jace, what do you got? So current price here for Nextera Energy, $81.13, 52-week high, $83.34, and done well off the 52-week low of $43.70. And I, I did look at this company as an electric utility. Oh, I thought and it was a... Uh, uh, yeah. when, I was almost yeah. wondering, since it's done well, I was wondering yeah. if it had more kind of... Uh, alternative energy, green yeah. energy, because I know that's ridden the wave of, you know, uh, the Biden kind of yeah. hope to get the green energy, but they still use nuclear, coal, oil, and natural gas. So it uh, doesn't look like they're in that kind of space, but they do use wind and solar as well. Um, but point being, they're an electric utility. I go out to do 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.50. Unfortunately, it gives us a target sell price of forty dollars and fifty cents so this company is very expensive don and utilities generally do not benefit from increasing interest rates or kind of like a fixed income proxy essentially i, I do worry about what this company is going to look like over the next five years and without looking at the numbers or listening to you as soon as you said it was a utility i knew like yep i bet you this is overpriced so uh it may go higher but again as chase points out too with the interest rates rising higher not good for utilities it's already overpriced uh, I think you said you made some good money on it. Is that correct, Don? 
Um, well, yeah, I've, I've had it open about a year oh, and yeah. a half, and uh, so I don't know whether it might be a good time to sell a little bit of it off. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think it's pushing towards uh, the, the, the high side. Uh, I would recommend selling it. Uh, it may just, go a little bit higher, but I, I just think guessing the current price is about twice what the target sell price is. So that means it's trading at about thirty-three times future earnings. It's 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 expensive. Yeah, and utilities in my forty years of doing this have never traded at thirty-three times earnings. That's yeah. that is a, a yeah. weird situation. <laughs> well, I think the uh, the big benefit that a lot of people see is that uh, with the new administration. Yeah. Uh, coming in that there seems to be more of an emphasis on alternative energy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's true. So, so I don't know whether that's enough to, to buy any more, but no, uh, I did I definitely want to buy more. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think there's gonna be some very strange things going over the next uh, administration here. And, uh, I, I'm still going to stick to my basic fundamentals and buying good businesses at good prices and not try to guess what the administration is going to do, what's going to be hot. Uh, because it's, 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 that becomes a gambling game. I mean, just buy good businesses at good prices and don't try to second guess what the administration, now you got the Senate, you got the, oh, it just gets crazy. Don't, don't, I, we don't look at politics. Yeah. We kind of look at, you know, the business, the businesses. All right. Very good. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, Don. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, yeah, a, a great show today. We had a lot, a lot to kind of go over and, you know, and I think uh, people are kind of maybe sleeping in a little bit more because the second hour had a lot more calls than the first hour. So maybe people like the second hour at uh, 9 to 10, maybe just go back to the one hour. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, we got a couple compliments on the two hours. I know. <laughs> Jason did have a funny comment. They said, maybe calls will pick up again when Robinhood investors who are in Tesla see their gains disappear and realize none of us are experts and need your fundamental professional opinions. And that that point will come. I know. I remember oh, yeah. when you used to do the show back in the tech boom, you, you lost. I remember you said you did a, a workshop on why not to buy Cisco yeah. and people got up and left. And it, it's it's crazy. And I mean, as we talked about, I think it was with Jim is I don't know when it's going to end. Right. But when things get this expensive, historically, it ends poorly for investors. And it, it almost seems like it's about every 20 years yeah. I mean, because the nifty 50 was in the late 70s. Yeah. And then the tech bust occurred in 2000. So about 22 years. Now we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. Again, about another 20 years and, later. And so. It's so, yeah, it's so funny. You, you brought up the, the show when I was doing it back. And that's about when I started doing the radio. It was like 1995. Uh, did talk about tech. And we got a lot of calls. But a lot of them were like, nope, nope, nope. Sell, sell, sell. And kind of like we're getting now, a lot of calls. But then when the tech bust happened, we got less calls, but they were better calls. They were more quality calls about true investing. So we're seeing the same thing now. I mean, many companies now, like Home Depot, uh, 30 times earnings. Uh, you, which, which was the company? It was about 50 times earnings. Um, WD-40. WD-40. I mean, it, it's just crazy, some of these valuations. So there, there is a fall coming. But the value companies, again, we show people when they come in for a presentation, there's like five different periods or five different years where actually value far outperformed growth and actually a few of those years value actually made money when growth lost money yeah and i, I want to be clear i'm not sure if the fall is going to happen in 2021 no. might be 22 might be 23 but things are expensive things are expensive so be cautious all right there's the closing bell thank you for listening to smart investing show it is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice let's discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions uh, feel free to call myself brent wilsey or chase wilsey at 858 858- 546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more educational information, investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters. Closing song is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. And may I say, not in a Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, and thank you for joining us this morning. Have been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for 28 years, and I've enjoyed every single one of those years, every single one of those shows. Pretty sure I have. I can't think of one I didn't enjoy. But if you have investment questions through this crazy time, start of the new year, or you want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own, or looking at buying, selling, or holding, please call in, as always, at uh, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And with me this morning is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Happy to be here. I almost, for some reason, just slipped into last year, yeah, late, early last year, uh, and gave out the old 800 number. <laughs> it's like, I guess I'm not as awake as I thought it was this morning. <laughs> it happens, you know. <laughs> so it, it does happen. But uh, yeah, we got uh, two hours here on, on, on the show and, and uh, made different ways to listen to the Smart Investing Show. But let's get into the, the topics here because it was... And it seems like I see this every week. It was a crazy week last week, wasn't it? I mean, it always is. You know, <laughs> that's one thing we always say about investing is it's always changing. Yep. You know, there's always something going on. And you know, and I, I won't tell on air what I'm telling my clients how well we're going to do in 2021. But one thing I say all the time is it's not a straight up move. There's going to be a pullback. There's going to be volatility, and, and and we could have. And I, I forget the number. Maybe you remember it. You're a little bit younger, a little bit better memory. Um, is that I believe sixty percent of the time the market's in like a ten percent correction. There was some number like that came out months ago. Do you remember that? I don't remember the exact number, but I I do know the average intra-year drop. So you look at the the top to basically yeah. bottom during the year is about thirteen point eight percent. So yeah. I mean that does mean you're going to have. A pullback on yeah. average every year. I mean, it, it just happens. I mean, yeah. you're going to have years that are more pronounced, so to speak, where we had last year, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know down 40%. And, you know, 1987 that dropped 30, gosh, I think it was 34% as well, Black Monday. But then you're going to have other ones that, yeah, things just go down 10% sometimes. It's called, what we call a healthy correction. Yeah, yeah. And and, and people hate them. You, you know, oh, yeah, you know, the market's going to crash and so forth. We actually like them because, I mean, right now, I mean, we're looking for things to buy. Uh, we always love when somebody calls in with something like, hey, that might be a good uh, good investment to look at. We'll never say, oh, just on two minutes, like it's a buy. It takes us, you know, 10, 20 hours before we say, yes, we really know this business. We don't see anything wrong with it. Let's buy it. But it is it, it is kind of funny because right now you, you got to be cautious. So. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, and, and I will say too, we get so excited. I mean, we don't buy the stock market. There are companies right. that come about that really present good opportunities, and the market might be going up. This company could be going down. Again, not everything moves together. And I'm talking about a company here. I'm not going to give it away. We sold it last year at about 288, 289. Right. Now it's back around 242, 245. We're not quite ready to jump into it yet, but that's what we get excited about. We yeah. know it's a great business. It just got too expensive, and now we have that opportunity where, hey, the price might make a little bit of sense here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I know what you're talking about. I know the company. I would love to buy it uh, back. Uh, you know, it would be, be a great opportunity for a great business. So well, let's talk about uh, what happened this past week. And, and first off, let's talk, uh, start off with the COVID relief. Uh, talking about the additional stimulus package. Uh, too much, even with only $600 a person. Uh, up to $75,000 year in income, double that if you have a couple, you know, married couple, 150000 or 1200 And people say, oh, that's not enough. Well, it, before you think I'm being cruel here, let, let me give you some facts here. I mean, most hardworking Americans do have a paycheck. Uh, total wages and salary are just 0.4% lower in November than before the pandemic. Again, let me repeat that. They're only down 0.4%. That's the average. Now, again, I'm before you jump on us, yes, we know about the hospitality industry and so forth. But total unemployment currently stands at $9.8 million lower than in February. Here's the big one. Leisure and hospitality accounts for one-third of that de- deficit. Yeah, I mean, 80% of recipients at the most recent stimulus either save the money or use it to pay down debt, according to a recent study. And again, the reason is only a third or about a third of those unemployed they can't go to work. I mean, there, there's nowhere to go because the restaurants are closed right now. Yeah, they get fined if they go to work. <laughs> and, and I mean, you look at all these other areas, and we're going to get into the jobs report here shortly. A lot of people still have jobs and actually have not seen a pay cut. So I'm not seeing what $600 is going to do for them to essentially stimulate the economy. Right, right. And and and, and again, it's when you look at this here, it's much – what's really going on is that you're not stimulating the economy any longer because the people that have money – you send them $600, you send them $1,200, uh, they're going to take that money to pay down debt or they're going to um, invest it or save it. That's not going to help the economy. Well, and, and also what I'm looking at is where are they going to spend the money? Yeah. Restaurants are closed. Uh, I don't really want to travel anywhere right now because I can go <laughs> anywhere. I can't do anything when I get there. I'm not going to stay in a hotel. I'm not going to fly on the airlines. So what are you going to do? Uh, maybe buy some goods? Yeah. And and kind of jumping around here a little bit, but I did see this last week, we had the highest trade deficit in goods ever recorded. Yeah. I and I mean, it's because we can't manufacture stuff fast enough because goods are the only place people can really spend their money at this time. So now we're sending money overseas to China and these other countries mm-hmm. because their manufacturing is going fine and all we can really consume here right now is goods. Right. So we're buying stuff and the people that don't have the money, they're struggling because they can't work because <laughs> the services are closed. Yeah, and, and the problem, too, is that, you know, they want to stimulate the economy. Well, it does no good when states like California and New York are th- keeping things closed. The people that need it the most are the hospitality industry. They need the money. You know, they need people to go back to work and uh, not go back to work, but go back to the restaurant and start spending so they can make money as opposed to – well, give me $600. That's not going to work very well because I, I, I need more money. But they want to – I think 90% of them want to go back to work. Yeah. Um, and, and so just sending out this stimulus package is not going to help the economy that much because it's 
the, the industry, the hospitality needs the most, it's not going to help them. Yeah. And I, I'm going to kind of show a little bit of my political beliefs here. And sure. I'm not a big believer in unemployment. Wait, didn't we say we weren't going to talk yeah, politics yeah. in the show? <laughs> I'm not a big believer in unemployment benefits. I, right. I, I think long term, it, it's, you know, when a healthy economy, people can find jobs and so forth. Right. But right now, it's such a unique situation. I, I do really believe it, it would have been better to send that money to the 2.3 million people that were low, below mm-hmm. the poverty level in November versus February. I mean, returning that money to the bottom 10% poorest households would have cost approximately $1.5 billion a month to make up the shortfall from February. If it, uh, one were to make up the difference on a monthly basis to the lower 50% of the population, that would only cost about 16 billion dollars per month i mean it's not that much when you think about it compared to all the trillions of dollars we're spending right now on 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 stimulus and i think it would be more beneficial to the economy at this time and it's such a different time because as i said these people can't go back to work right right and and what's really i think have that money and again i i agree with you that they should send it to the people that really really need it um but they're not so I think this is partly why the market is going crazy, why Bitcoin is going crazy, because you're putting money in people's hands, and I think younger people who really have no clue about investing, but they're doing the investment mode where, well, if it goes up, buy it. And if I buy it, it's going to go up. And it just, you know, we're on this track, and the higher it goes, the bigger the drop's going to be. And I'm not talking about the overall stock market. I'm talking about some crazy companies out there that have no, and we said we were going to talk about this company, but it trades at a 1,700 times PE. Maybe you can figure out what that car company is. <laughs> I guess I just gave it away. But it just this is why this craziness is going on, and people say, oh, well, this is great. It's, it's not great because people are gambling is what they're doing on these other companies. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah, so, and that brings me to my, my next one that I want to talk about is reasons not to sell the right stocks. You know, some people are worried about the Democrats controlling Congress and the presidency, uh, now the Senate as well. But there are many uh, reasons you should not sell the right stocks. To begin with, even the Democrats hold on to the, the, the lead uh, in Georgia. Which they not, did. Not, well, now it's 50-50, I guess, yeah. on the Senate race. Um, uh, with, the, with the Kamala Harris uh, being the tiebreaker, this worries people. Like, oh, my gosh, a Democrat's going to control everything. Well, what they're not thinking about is that um, – and, and what the people are worried about, the Green New Deal – uh, you know, higher taxes, all these wild ideas that come out with. But what they're not thinking about is that there are moderate Democrats the same way as those moderate Republicans. So it's, they, they need 100 percent of those Democrats to do those crazy things. I don't think they're going to do that. And, and I think the thing that people have to realize is they, they get so nervous. And, and, and I mean, I'm going to say it happened on the other side as well when the Republicans controlled yeah. everything back in, what, 2016. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. And it's, oh, my gosh, it's terrible this time. Again, you have to remember there are some people in the middle. I mean, you saw, you know, John McCain kind of step in and <laughs> take, take some steps there to, Mitt Romney. to block yeah. some things. Yeah. And there's Democrats on the other side that are going to be like, oh, no, I, I'm not for that. that. That's just way too far. Right. And there's going to be bickering, which is going to cause delays, and, and things are going to shift here. And, and you're not going to see these crazy things. I know there's a, a gentleman in West Virginia. I always forget his name. It starts with an M. It's like Mincher or something is his, his name, but he's in the Senate. Yeah. And he's – Joe or Minchin or I don't know his exact yeah. name. Yeah. But Manchin. He, Joe Manchin. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's kind of in the middle. And yeah. the only thing that people have to realize is it just takes one of them to say, no, I'm not for that. Right. And then you're not going to have the Green New Deal. So there's some things that people shouldn't be worried about. They, they worry, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose the 401k deduction. Taxes are going to go up to 90 mm-hmm. percent for the wealthy. And we're going to lose the step up in basis. The estate tax is going to be destroyed. 
people are panicking here and selling their stocks because of it, and it makes no sense. Right. It, and, and, and things are just going really kind of crazy because uh, there's a lot of money out there. There's $25 trillion sitting in liquid accounts. I talk about that all the time for people. That, that's why 2021 is going to be a great, great year, I think, investing in the right companies. There is some craziness going on. Actually, tomorrow uh, I will be on KOSI at 840 in the morning talking about Bitcoin, trying to explain what it is because it's just a crazy thing. Why is it at, what, 42000 whatever it is? Um, explaining the craziness of the market. But what people aren't realizing that there's good investments out there to do, and you got to be patient with them. We, we talked about that. But you, you have to know where to invest. And you're not investing for uh, two months, three months, two weeks, whatever it is, because that's the other thing, too, people going in and out. Actually, I guess that benefits the government because all that taxation, <laughs> you know, short-term gains that they're not realizing they have to pay. But it, it's just it is a good environment for investing because we will reopen this year. Hopefully, I'm thinking April, May, uh, things will get back to, quote-unquote, uh, some type of a normal and uh, people can start spending. They can start traveling. And, and the other reason I want to point out, too, why going to cash here makes absolutely no sense is a lot of Republicans are worried about the Democrats in introducing these new stimulus bills yeah. and all this <clears throat> spending that's going to happen. I'll tell you just a little secret here. When that occurs, cash is the absolute worst place you can be because yeah. what that is likely to incite is inflation. If you have more money coming in the economy, at some point, we're going to have inflation kick in. And inflation is a rising cost of goods and services. Right. Guess what? Your cash that you're sitting on is not going to keep up with inflation. So now all of a sudden, you're actually losing here. And again, what did I say inflation was? A rising cost of goods and services. Yep. Who's that benefit? Businesses. Yep. So that's why you cannot be in cash here. If you're worried about the Democrats introducing new spending, don't go to cash. That's the silliest thing you could do. <laughs> and what people have to realize, too, with that, because they say, well, I thought when inflation came, uh, stocks go down. Initially, they do because rates generally rise, and that's bad for stocks. So stocks initially go down. But then what happens down the road, again, for long-term investors, that inflation caused the price of the product to be higher, which now means more earnings. So it's not going to be, oh, you're going to be yeah, well, so smart in two weeks. No, we're, we're talking again. Whenever we invest, we invest for three to five years. We're buying businesses. Inflation can benefit the businesses because they rise the price of their, their goods, as you said, and services. Yeah. So. I mean, that, that's one reason I, I really like financials here. And yep. I mean, financials are going to benefit from the rising interest rates. Yep. And I, I think that's a, a good place to look. And it's a good value company, which value generally does good in, yep. in high interest rates and, and slower growth type environments, which I think we'll see. So I, I, I think uh, you got to know where to look here. Yep. And I did kind of just think of one thing. I want to bring it up here. Sure, sure. Last Uh-oh. thing here okay, go ahead. is on the stimulus. <laughs> okay. One thing that does worry me going forward is we're now becoming kind of numb to these high spending amounts. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's just a trillion dollars. Yeah, what's oh, a trillion? Oh, let's just forgive student loan debt. It's just a trillion, you know, no big deal. But that's what I'm kind of saying here is be cautious. You have to understand that if we do spend more, you have to invest. You can't just stay right. on the sidelines sitting cash. Right. And and actually, I've done numbers in the past, some analysis. I mean, we could hit, I, I think, $35 trillion in debt before we really had issues. And right now, I think we're approaching $30 trillion, but it does have to stop sooner or later. And, it, and hopefully, it's going to be sooner. But uh, And again, I think we will have a good economy. I mean, there was talk in uh, 2021 that GDP could hit 5 5.5% because of all the pent-up demand 
that wasn't done in in um, uh, 2020. So let's move on to my exciting topic here, which I always like to uh, talk about the job report. Uh, and, and I can't say I'm, I'm surprised by the disappointing job report that came out. The headline number shows that uh, payrolls declined 140,000 December, which missed the estimate of a gain of 50,000. Who came up with these gain? I, I, I just don't <laughs> understand why they expected the gain and compares unfairly to November's gain in the payrolls of 336,000. Uh, it's it, it, this number here. I, as I said, I don't see how anybody can be surprised. For did you not know that New York, California, some other states have closed down again? So that means, oh, sorry, people go home. Not like you still have a job. I know. I, I think that's why the the market kind of took it somewhat in stride yesterday, yeah. is because I think people were like, ah. Oh, that doesn't make sense. And the economist maybe didn't revise their estimates or something, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, people don't realize how much leisure and hospitality make up of the, the jobs. Right. And close, opening them, closing them back down, it, it's going to wipe out a, a decent size. Now, I, I will say a benefit here is that November's number was revised up from the initial read of 245,000. So ah, that's about a, a gain of 90,000 jobs to that. Right. Kind of <clears throat> offsets the, the weak job report we did have in December. Um, but as you said, it, it's it's not really too surprising. I'm not too worried about it because it's not really indicative of the economy. It's indicative of the government shutdown. Yeah, the economy is not controlling it. The government's controlling it, and, and that's part of the problem. Um, and again, when we looked at um, – uh, the leisure and hospitality group, I mean, gosh, that accounted for a decline of 498,000 jobs. Now, if you just cut that in half, you'd have jobs grow. <laughs> but again, when you shut down the restaurants and the bars and, and gyms and stuff like that, you, you're going to have people file for unemployment. What else are they supposed to do? And it's just something that you've got to – that's why we love numbers. Numbers can tell you a lot. Uh, but highlights from the report included uh, retail trade. We saw an increase of 125,000, and there's other areas that increased as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at professional and business services, that increased to 161,000. Construction grew to 51,000. Manufacturing grew 38,000. And transportation warehousing increased 46,600. So it's kind of like we were talking about a little bit at the beginning of the show, is with these goods, excuse me, the lack of services, goods are on fire, so manufacturing and and transportation, you know, you got to get the goods somewhere. They're doing quite well at this time, kind of hopefully taking a little bit off the burden, so to speak, of the hospitality and leisure sectors to help the economy continue to move along. And and, and us too, I'm thinking as we're talking here, because there's jobs out there, and I I do know people that worked in hospitality before, now they switched to something else because, well, I can get a job over here, so I'll take that job. Could there be six months down the road, a prominent hospitality to where they cannot find workers to fill their jobs because they're now doing something else. You can see what we've had issues in in construction for years. You're absolutely right where uh, I don't want that because people have very short memories, I guess. They think back and say, oh, my gosh, I I was laid off from, you know, work. I I can't have that again. I I need to change my career path and get out of the hospitality and leisure industry and and go somewhere else. So you're going to lose people. But I will say you're not going to lose everyone. No. So the benefit here is you have 498,000 jobs circling around when we do reopen. Maybe not all 498,000 come back, but, hey, you get 300,000 back. Yeah. That's going to be a benefit as we continue to reopen and build the economy. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm quite confident it'll happen in 2021. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be a chicken here and say, yeah, it'll happen in the fall, by the fall. So, yeah. But but also, too, one thing that's happened here in California 
is that they did raise the minimum wage to, what, $14 an hour. I'm not sure where else they did it across the country. But that is a – and you got to feel bad for the restaurant owners because now they have to deal with that. So they can't make that many sales. they got to now pay $14 an hour. Um, they may have to, to change the way they do business. And, and, again, if they get less people that come into it and people now have money, they're going to want to go back to the restaurant – well, I want service. There's nobody here to service. So then they have to raise wages again. It's going to be a very difficult situation. It's going to be improving, but I think this is where the smart business owners will stay in business, and the ones that were just lucky, well, they're not going to be able to make it. Yes, you're smiling. What you got there? <laughs> you know what that's going to cause? Wow. Inflation. Oh, yeah, exactly. Wage inflation. Wage inflation. Yeah. Well, and yeah. then you talk about the wage inflation, but then restaurants, they have to increase prices to keep up with their profits. They have yeah. The, the restaurant owners need to make money so they can take right. it home to their families. So they're going to have to raise prices, which is inflation as well. So I, as I said, I, I don't think we're going to have like 5% inflation or anything. Right. But I, I think you're going to see inflation jump back above 2%. And you know the Fed's going to be patient on increasing interest rates on that. But I, I do believe in a few years they'll start to increase that interest rate. Very important though. Yeah, The Fed doesn't have to increase interest rates to have – other interest rates increase because it is based off the market and demand for those types of products. So you have to distinguish between those two when you're looking at investing in bonds, perhaps. Right. So, all righty. <clears throat> Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. I know we've got a couple of people here from Facebook. Did you have something else you want to talk about? No, just Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Yeah. So let's go ahead. Um, I was going to start here. Just, just you know, sorry, Brendan, but we, we got to take this one. You want to uh, take that one first? What do you want to do? Yeah, we'll, we'll take that one first just because uh, it's more conceptual, I guess. Um, and I got it pulled up already. Oh, you do have it pulled up. Okay. But wait, which one are you talking about? You know what? Tesla. Okay. Yeah. We have Rich asking, <laughs> <laughs> we have Rich asking what do you think Tesla will go up to? So we'll, we'll look at the numbers here for Rich, and then I have some other fun facts about it that they'll okay, look yeah. at. What, what will it go up to? A uh, hundred. Oh, wait, is it 800 now? <laughs> yeah, so, so let's give you the numbers why this is so crazy. And, and, and I'll just say the same thing on TV tomorrow. I have no idea where Bitcoin's going to go because it's a crazy time frame. Same thing with Tesla. Who has any idea? Remember Elon Musk, even pre-split, he said back when the stock was 450, it was overpriced. Yeah. I, you know, what has changed? Now it's, you know, up tenfold since that time frame. But The richest man in the world. Yeah, yeah. So and he's, he's probably sitting at his... Place in Texas, kind of just laughing. <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, but Tesla, as simple as TSLA, they do have a PE ratio. And again, we'll point out that their earnings did come a lot from selling tax credits, not from actually operations. But it's 1743 versus the industry. And they pulled up the whole industry, I guess, of 616 Price of sales for Tesla, not, uh, 29.6 versus 3.7. Price to book value, 54 versus 11. And even price to cash flow, this sounds outrageous, 280 versus uh, 26. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, let's see. My page will not go up right now. What's going on here? Uh, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. Let's see. Oh, kind of stuck. Having issues? You want oh, to wait. Check? I got to go down. I'm pushing the up button. Oh, I want the page to go up, but he needs to go slow down. You down. <laughs> yeah, so, wow, this is a tough uh, Saturday morning. I guess I'm not as, as low as I thought. Sales, uh, year over year for Tesla, they were up 15.4%, better than the industry at 154 Here's one that makes it sound really phenomenal. Earnings per share up 153 versus decline at 76 But again, keep in mind, 
where those earnings came from. They were not from the operations of the business, which makes me think about what's going to happen next year. We'll talk more about that. Current ratio, 1.6 versus 1.2. Debt to equity, 85 versus 204. It's because they keep issuing new stock. Return to equity is 4.8 versus 1.9. Net profit margin, 2.5 versus 0.6. And then receivable turnover, 19.5 versus 3. And inventory turnover, 5.7 below the industry at 8.7. What do they show for earnings going forward? Yeah, so I'll start here with the current price of $880.02, 52-week high, $884.49. So we saw that hit yesterday. And the 52-week low, $70.10. Oh, as I said, about tenfold, yeah. yeah. So you, you look out to December 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.95. That would give you a target sell price of $63.99. I'm even going to do something fun here and go all the way out to December 2024. I see estimated earnings per share of $8.27. We'll give you a target sell price of $133.97. I mean, this is just ludicrous. It has to grow into this valuation, and there's no way to grow into this valuation. But you know what the people that own Tesla say? Well, Chase, you just don't get it. Uh, it's not a car company. It's a technology, technology company. It's even pricey for a technology right, company. Right. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> for any company. And the thing is, this is so much momentum behind this. And, and we know when you throw like a ball up in the air, it can go up and up and up. But boy, when it hits that top, it comes down very quickly. And, and, and again, I can't, maybe Tesla hits a thousand and it will just shake our heads because this business is not worth that price. And I don't care what you say about, you know, SpaceX. They have SpaceX. Is that their, no, Elon Musk has SpaceX. SpaceX but, okay. So, well, Tesla has, um, they have something else there, don't they? No. no. No, they have a, Tesla. I thought they did own something. They had Solar City. Solar City, yeah, that's yeah. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, but again, even that, I, it it just makes no sense. And and again, I always congratulate people. Hey, I'm glad that you did that, and so forth. Congratulations, but it's not based on the basic sound fundamentals of investing that have lasted for hundreds of years, and people will get burned. Well, let's just use a little bit of logic here. So you look at Tesla; they don't produce anywhere near what the the big car companies. Do. And yes, they're a car company. You can argue they're whatever they are. They're a car company. They make cars. People drive in their cars. Right. And you look at the amount that Tesla moved yesterday, it was a $60 billion change for their market cap. GM, which again outproduces them by a lot wow. in terms yeah. of car production, doesn't even have a market cap of $60 billion. You look at all the auto manufacturers in the world, Tesla is about 30%. I think it was 38% of the entire auto manufacturing market cap. Right. <clears throat> I'll tell you something. They don't produce 38% of the cars <laughs> in the world. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And the crazy thing, too, about that calculation is that includes BYD and NEO, which are two Chinese electric vehicle startups at $90 billion in market cap, that also make no sense. So, I mean, the true auto manufacturing companies, I mean, look at, like, Toyota, it's $120 billion, I think, is their market cap. It makes no sense how Tesla is at these levels. And Michael Blurry, I think is his name. I, I'm, I'm forgetting his last name. He was the guy in the big short, caused, uh, uh, predicted the housing bubble right. and the crash. <clears throat> he finally started shorting Tesla in December. Right. And there's people lost a lot of money in shorting Tesla, but somebody's going to be right sooner or later because this will not continue on. And, and then I know on the Auto Talk show uh, before us, uh, they talked something about uh, Tesla 
sold more cars than Toyota. And I don't know. Did Brenda? Do you know? No one seems to know. I couldn't what that find was. anything on that. So. Yeah, couldn't find anything. Yeah. See, see, and I don't know who came up with that because I, I it can't be true. It's, it's not. Like, it's a fraction of the output. Right. Right. Because maybe in one little neighborhood. Somewhere across the country, <laughs> they, they did, but in Poway, <laughs> yeah, in Poway. Hey, I live in Poway. Careful, <laughs> um, but but that is something that made no sense. And then, but you know what? Stuff like that. There's young investors or uh, not inexperienced investors who hear that and they, oh, I gotta buy Tesla on Monday. You know, so it's a shame. Don't buy hype. You want to do something fun? Sure. Go look at a chart. Uh, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson, and I looked at this yesterday just because we were amazed by Tesla's rise yesterday. Look at a chart of Cisco. And their ticker symbol is it's the tech Cisco, right. CSCO. <laughs> Go look at it from about 1995 to about 2000. Mm-hmm. And you'll see something very, very similar to what Tesla looks like. Then what you do is you change the graph or the chart on Cisco from 2000 to 2005. Cisco fell about 90% in the matter of a year and a half. So that's why we keep telling people, I don't know when it's going to happen, but this is absolutely a bubble. Yeah. It might go up. And Cisco did the same thing. It's like, this makes no sense. Oh, up another 20%. Oh, up another 25%. And then all of a sudden it fell 90%. Yeah. So things will come back. And I don't know when it will. And as you said, congratulations to those people that have done well on Tesla. But if you don't sell it before it crashes... <laughs> yeah. You don't get the congratulations. Right, you right. lost all your money. You lost all your money, which happened to a lot of people in Cisco. And I remember Yahoo back then. I mean, there's many companies that has happened to in the past. And just look at your history. And, and they say if you don't understand history, uh, you're doomed to fail in the, in the future. And the thing that fuels that selling as well is kind of what I talk about is people are like, uh, I'm up, you know, 1,000% on Tesla. Oh, I'm, I'm still up 900%. So I'm going to take my profits here. Oh, I'm up 800% still. So I'm going to take my profits here. Right. And then it starts to just... Whoosh, yeah, goes off a cliff. So yeah. just be careful. Yeah, we, 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 and again, people say, well, you were wrong on Tesla a year ago. Yeah, we were. But we're wrong for the right reasons, and we'll, we'll be right because nothing goes to the moon based on. And, and investing is really a very simple thing. You invest your money to get a return on your money by the earnings, not just by the stock price, but you, the earnings have to go up to have it go up in value to make it worth more. So Tesla will crash uh, one day. I'm not going to say when. I'm not going to buy it, not going to short it, but I do warn people, be very, very careful. And hopefully they're the ones that get out before the crash comes because there's too many people that, again, with Cisco, lost a lot of money uh, and lost more than they actually invested because they did silly things. They would try to buy it as it's going down. Like, oh, this is a good price, and they buy more. And they lose more money because it went down. So enough on Tesla. Brendan will move on from Tesla. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan I, no, I, think we, I think he owns a Tesla, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> All righty, phone number is 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Investor Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi guys. Tell you what, you know, looking at a stock, it's called Lemonade. It's been one of the big uh, growth flyers lately. Mm-hmm. The one thing that intrigues me is I, I like companies with you know recurring revenues like credit card companies, insurance companies, and they're in the insurance space. So wondering what you think about it. Lemonade. Where did they come up with that name? I, I, I saw that. I, I was like, lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, lemonade? What does that company yeah, yeah. do? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would think it would be like more of like a mixed cocktail or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just that <laughs> name, just a name alone, I don't want to buy a company called Lemonade. But uh, anyways, let's look at the numbers yeah. here for you. Company, again, is Lemonade Incorporated. Symbol is L-M-N-D. Uh, no P-E ratio versus 27 for the industry. Uh, no price to sales. Well, that's kind of strange. Uh Versus 1.2 for the industry. They do have a price to book value of 16 versus 1.4 and no price of cash flow. Uh, no dividend. Okay, so I think we're lacking information. This may be a very small company here. No, I see no sales growth, no earnings growth, uh, n- no current ratio, debt to equity zero versus 39. Uh, missing a lot of numbers here. I have very little. Uh, Chase, do you have what the market cap is on this company and do you have information on it? They got nothing. Yeah, caught me up. Pretty quickly, there was. Yeah, I know. Well, I, know I got nothing over here, so I'm gonna toss it to you and let you struggle a little bit. Yeah, because right now the analysts do not <clears throat> cover it on um, Reuters. So no analysts. So no analysts. Uh, all I have Whoa. for you, John, is the market cap is about nine point one billion dollars. So That's a pretty good size yeah. market cap. Yeah, I mean it, it's. It looks like it, it IPO'd in July of this year, and mm. I mean it's. It's got a 52-week low of $44.11, high of 168.59, and current price is 160.74. I mean, I completely agree with you. I love companies with reoccurring revenue. I think it's a, a great business model. But how much am I paying for that reoccurring revenue at this time? I it, it looks like it's going to be quite pricey. Yeah, and, and John, this is when you're kind of on your own. You have to actually go to look at the financial statements, read the financial statements, uh, actually look at what the company's done. Uh, read the quarterly reports and really understand it. You got something, Chase? Yeah, I do have something. It looks like I found some analysts that do follow it on uh, Yahoo Finance. It looks like there's about seven analysts, and they do estimate a loss of three cents in 2021. So I, I just, and even the revenue, it's only $110 million estimated to be the, the revenue in 2021. So this company is, it's expensive, John. And I, as I said, I like the recurring revenue, but it's, you're paying a lot for it. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So I, you know, you know, when, when you look at it, when you look at a graph of the stock price, I mean, it's kind of hit that hockey stick, you know, so the, it's, um, it's really ramped up, but, um, I don't know, maybe I'll go buy some more Allstate. That's a core holding. anyway. <laughs> yeah, that sounds better. And I like that name Allstate versus Lemonade. It just sounds kind of sour. I, yeah. I mean, you, you might not get that hundred percent gain in in the next three months, but also you're probably not going to have a 50% fall like you might see with Lemonade. <laughs> I'm surprised you called on this one, John, but I guess you're trying something different there, aren't you? Well, you know, you, my portfolio, it's, it's it's basically, you know, companies that have strong earnings and, you know, a lot of people would think they're boring companies, but occasionally I, I saw this mentioned in an article this morning in Barron's and just um, kind of wondered what you guys might have thought about it. I, I, I'm not one that buys these the, the Teslas and things like that. I've never owned them, but um, I know, occasionally I like to look at them. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fun to kind of <clears throat> cheer from the sidelines, but I, I, and I did this back, I've been, again, managing money for 40 years now. I did this back probably oh, earlier in my career, like, oh, well, this one's going to be great and so forth. Every single one did not perform. So now I've made the rule, like, do not touch those because when you, lo- if you lose, I don't know, $5,000, it's like that's five thousand dollars. The next twenty years could have grown to fifteen or twenty thousand. So I, I, I just have exactly. I'm just nope. Gonna stay away from. It. And I always hate the thing too about well, you're younger. I'm not younger, but Chase, like younger <laughs> people. Oh, you're younger. You can afford the risk. Why you miss yeah. the compounding? So, so John, right? Stay away from lemonade except for the drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's got lots of sugar though. Maybe avoid it as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, guys. Okay, John. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line 866 577 2473. Again, that's 866 577 2473. Let's look at uh, Jason from Facebook. He has a, a question on there on a company that we're going to look at uh, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners Limited. Uh, symbol is BIP. Now, this one has some interest because infrastructure, and I know when I'm looking at the numbers here, you'll probably look a little bit more about the company. We do feel, <clears throat> and I was very disappointed, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, Trump, uh, in four years, he talked about doing the infrastructure rebuild, never did. And that was disappointing. Maybe because he was too busy, I said we're not going to get politics, too busy doing other things that <laughs> yeah. he didn't have to do, I'll put it that way. Um, but we do believe that Joe Biden, you know, and that was one thing, too, is that both Democrats and Republicans knew about this rebuild. So perhaps this could be something. So let me, did you find something already? Can I sit <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say <clears throat> on my segment on Fox 5 this past Wednesday, I was, like, <laughs> I was joking with the infrastructure stocks. I said, you know, it's kind of funny. You can't get bipartisan support on anything right now, but infrastructure, infrastructure right now, there is some bipartisan support. <clears throat> Only problem is, well, what does the deal look like on infrastructure? So there's going to be some challenges there, but there is some room to come to a negotiating table on infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. So so the company, again, is, a <clears throat> gosh, Brookfield uh, Infrastructure Partners Limited, uh, BIP, no PE ratio, unfortunately. Price to sales, 2.6, very expensive compared to the industry, a 0.54, no price to tangible book value. Price to cash flow is 12.9. That is better than the industry at 13.89. And they do pay a dividend here, uh, 3.9%, but with no earnings there that the payout ratio is not material. Uh, sales are up 25.7%, industry down 22. So I would like, I like seeing that even though the rebuild hasn't started yet. Uh, unfortunately, earnings fell by 251, but industry is down 466. We do see the balance sheet, a current ratio of 0.7 versus 0.5. That's a little bit worrisome, but what's even worse is debt to equity is 467 <clears throat> versus 194. Return to equity, a negative 1.6 versus negative 58. Net profit margin, they do have one, 4.5 <clears throat> versus 13. And then we do see receivable turnover is 4.8 versus 9.2. <clears throat> Inventory turnover, 22. Chase, you, you got a, 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 a I'm a little puzzled. Yeah, you look puzzled over <laughs> yeah. That's a word I was looking for. I'm, what, I'm what's looking at the company here, and it's <clears throat> it's listed as a util, in the utility sector. And... Interestingly, it's uh, actually located, it looks like, in uh, Bermuda. Is that where it is? I just see a big ocean here. Yep, it's in Bermuda. Um, And the company, it says it operates utilities, transport, energy, and data infrastructure businesses in North and South America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. So it, it, it looks like they have, like, some toll roads, some rails, some... Uh, let's see, natural ga- gas pa- pipelines, uh, said the data infrastructure. I mean, they have all these different things. So the reason I'm also confused is I go to Reuters, they have FFO, so funds from operations. So I'm trying to determine, is this a real estate investment trust or is this just a normal company? Right. So it, it's it's quite unique. It would definitely take some more research. Now, I'll start here with the current price of $50.16. 52-week high is $52.72, and 52-week low is $22.99. So you've seen a very nice appreciation off the low. People might be onto that infrastructure trend, and it's got infrastructure in the name, so hey, might as well buy it, right? (laughs) (laughs) But here I'm looking at earnings per share. 
And I got to December 2021, SE estimated earnings per share would be $0.84. Cents. Obviously, that would not get us to a target sell price above $50. It'd actually be about $13.61. But as I said, if this is a REIT and we look at FFO, funds from operations, I go out to 2021, the FFO is $3.53. That would give us a target sell price of $57.19. So I know Jason asked, how are they paying that dividend? It looks like they have a lot of depreciation costs, maybe amortization, these non-cash expenses. So if they have good cash flow and good FFO, they can pay out dividends and be okay. So it's interesting. It's not quite worth the research, though, because as I said, the target sell price is eh, about 12, 15% away from the current price. But I almost want to look at it because I'm curious what the heck it is. (laughs) (laughs) What it is, yeah. And it it sounds like it might be something good. But again, they got all that debt. uh, And we we like buying REITs as well. We, We do have real estate in our portfolio. But we don't like the high debt. And what would I say? It was like 497%. Uh, I mean, that, that, it almost makes it worth I mean, curious what it is. Uh, but I, I just don't like that much debt. And we do know that generally when rates rise, REITs do not do, not do well. Mm-hmm. So real estate doesn't do well because, it, especially all that debt, if they have debt reoccurring, like, oh, my gosh, now it's going to pay a higher rate, higher rate. That'll hurt their earnings and their Yeah, I think you got to be careful with the real estate. This one does scare me, as you said, with the high debt. But if you can find, there are real estate companies that don't take on as much debt. I think those will outperform the higher debt ones. You see interest rates increasing. We've talked a lot about office REITs. I think they've been so depressed that the value is still there. But you can't buy a REIT that is, I think, fairly priced and you buy it for the dividend because I think those will struggle. You see rising rates. You can look for depressed REITs that have that value opportunity and I'd say low debt ones, but this one doesn't really match any right. other category. And, you know, just thinking I, I have, I was going to write a post on this. I read the article on it. Uh, I haven't done it yet, but it talks about there was a, a survey that workers think that staying, working from home is more productive. And, and, and that's what I did. I think that's the wrong way to go. I think who you have to do the survey of is employers. <laughs> the employers and the bosses, the managers, because you know, you're, you're at home like, oh, yeah, I'm so productive. But the boss maybe is not getting things done because you're at home and you think you're productive. But I would like to see that type of survey done. Well, what do the uh, managers and the bosses and the owners think about that? Because I myself as an owner, I've, I've had people that, you know, because they were quarantined, had to work from home. I'm sorry. It is nowhere near as productive because – I like to, you know, and I've done this forever, get up my, from my office, go see things and so forth. Can't do that when somebody's at home. Now, maybe for certain jobs, but I think overall, it, it, I, I, I would love to see that survey. Maybe we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think it has been interesting as well. Is I, I've been saying that I think working from home is exciting maybe for a year, for two years. But I think five years down the road, you're really losing that human contact. And yeah. I think people are going to want to go into the offices at some point because right. – you, you lose that touch. It's, it's almost like playing on a sports team. Mm-hmm. I look at business, you're you're in a team together. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like practicing on your own and then showing up to game day, and it's like, okay, we're good to go. Right. You're not going to be on the same page. And, and if you want to work from home, that's why you say, yeah, I'm more productive. But I remember when I first started my business, I couldn't afford an office, so I had to work from home. And I, I did it for, for a few years, and people would say that I know, like, I could never work from home because there's too many distractions, which is true. you got your dog there. You've got TV. You've got... Oh, you're in your house, and there's a lot of things that maybe you want to do, and but you think you're more productive because you're saying, "Well, I don't drive to work. Um, you know, I'm right here." I, I'm sorry, I, I would really like to see that from managers because I don't think that they're as productive. And I, I will t- say, I have seen 
surveys on productivity and so forth, and uh, I've had discussions with uh, other owners right. as well, and they, they've said things have been good. But I, I think people are trying to prove the point that they can work from home, so they're being good right now. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do worry, as I said, longer term, how sustainable it is. Because you can do it for a year and be like, oh, i got to do this and right. you know, prove that I can work from home. And then once you kind of get that comfort of, yeah, I can work from home, then it's, uh, you know, I, I'll start to slack a little bit. And then I think personally the big thing, though, is just the communication with your your coworkers. I mean, coworkers, yeah. I, funny fact here, actually. There was uh, an article I read on working in the office, and the whole idea was that this is people's social life. You don't go to school anymore when you're an adult, <laughs> so this is how you get to know people. I forget the number, but I, it was it was pretty darn high. It was like a third or like 35 40% of people reported having a workplace relationship with, you know, a person right. of the opposite sex at that time. And it, it's a way to meet people and that's your community, <laughs> you know? True. So it's they're saying the social life is going to really hurt as well. I mean, you talk about happy hours with your work and right. you know, just getting to know people. I mean, you don't know people. I, you know, the, the Zoom meetings we do right now with uh potential clients, clients it's, it's just it's not the same. Yeah. You, you don't get that that contact. You don't get the the body language and the feeling of well, what is this person really thinking? You know, it's just a computer screen. <laughs> All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I'll tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody else, but all phone lines are open. And what we're going to do right now, though, we're going to go to our uh, CFP, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, good. You have a special topic to talk about today, don't you? I do. I do. It's, it's always a special topic every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying that because I can't remember the letters of what it is. So that's why I said, so you took away my, my, uh, okay. my, my secret. <laughs> yeah. So now that we're in the beginning of the year, I thought it'd be good to talk about QCDs, stands for um, Qualified Charitable Distributions. And um, basically what it is, is what you can do if you're if you have RMDs, so you're 72 or older, um, when you, you have to take those RMDs from your 401k or IRA or whatever it is. Those distributions are taxable. So what you can do with these qualified charitable distributions is you can divert some of that RMD or all of your RMD to a charity. And so what that does is it makes sure you're getting the benefit of that deduction because <clears> – <throat> After 2017, with the tax cuts that we had, that increased the standard deduction. So a lot of people aren't itemizing anymore. And so if you regularly donate to charity, you have to itemize in order to get the tax benefit from that. So these QCDs are a way to continue to get the benefit, even if you don't itemize. Yeah, I know it's a it's a big thing too. just a lot of people, as you said, give to charity and it, it's definitely the best way to do it. In well, retirement. I, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I come across a lot of people, and they're like, okay, yeah, we give to our church, or we, we give to this cause, or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, well, based on your tax return, you guys file the standard deductions. Did you know that you're not getting any benefit tax-wise for those deductions? And a lot of people don't know that. And so, um, again, it, with the RMDs, you have to take that out. So it is taxable. And so, again, this is a way to make sure that you're getting the benefit for it. And actually, in a lot of cases, it can turn out better because essentially what you're doing is you're taking your standard deduction and then stacking on top that charitable deduction. So you're really getting more deductions doing this. So it actually can reduce your taxable income uh, even further. So, Harrison, you, you see a lot of people. I mean, who would this be maybe designed for? What would be the target market, for lack of a better term, that would benefit from this? 
so what I would say is if you are 72 and you give any amount to charity, this is really for you because um, whether you itemize or not, this can still be beneficial because worst case scenario, you will still have a lower taxable income, which reduces your federal and state taxes. But also another point here is um, by making these charitable distributions from your IRA, it also reduces your adjusted gross income because it's never considered income in the first place. And so that is important because once you turn 65 and you're on Medicare, your Medicare Part B and Part D premiums are based on what your adjusted gross income is. And so I have clients right now where we use these QCs not just for the tax benefit, but also to keep their uh, their Medicare premiums low. And so there's there's a whole uh, there's a whole realm of um, benefits to it. Yeah, so there's a lot more to it than just doing the, the uh, deduction. Yeah, the, and, and I know charity. you said uh, there's a, a cap on it, though, right? But right. it's it's for the ultra givers, I guess, that, that are might hit that cap. <laughs> what, what's the cap? Again? What is the cap? Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't run into it, but you can only give a hundred thousand dollars per year. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> know many people like to give a hundred thousand a year. Quite a bit. And yeah. one of the other technicalities of it is again, I, I mentioned with the RMD that starts at seventy-two, but technically for these QCDs, you just have to be seventy and a half. Um, but the main benefit is for people who are taking these RMDs and. They have to take it because it's, uh, you know, it's required and they're taxed on it. So this is a way if you get to charity instead of just, you know, um, a lot of people will have automatic monthly donations go to their church or whatever it is. Well, instead of doing that, have it go directly from your IRA and um, it'll reduce your taxes potentially and keep your adjusted gross income uh, lower. Okay. And and Harrison, uh, you obviously are for Wilson Asset Management, you're our financial planner. But why don't you give people your phone number so that if they have questions on that, they can call you directly. My number is 858-805-6302. Yeah. Uh, actually, I meant to give the main numbers. because <laughs> yeah, we uh, you said my direct number. Well, yeah. I didn't mean your direct number, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say that. I did say that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because, um, but 858. 858-546-4306. Yes. That's the one that they should always have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harrison. Uh, I know you got a big party today, so I'll let you go and uh, you have a great day. We'll see you Monday. All right. All right. Bye-bye. You too. See you Monday. Bye-bye. All right. The phone number, as always, at Wilson Asset Management is 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. Actually, we have new billboards coming out. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. 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 Well, since you were thinking it, I'll let you go ahead and say it. Then. Yeah. yeah. So you might be seeing these around town here soon. Is uh, we do have a one eight hundred number as well. Eight five eight five four six four three zero six is too hard to remember for you. Yep. We do have one eight hundred seven six. We'll see. That's W I L S E Y, and and that'll put you on through to our uh, yep. phone tree as well. Yep. So easy to remember that. Yeah. So and you'll see the billboards hopefully. Pretty soon, uh, going up, uh, I'm hoping a week or so. So, all righty, phone number's here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, yes, we do have lines open, but right now let's go out to Massachusetts and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How's everyone? Very good. How are you doing? I'm fine. I was wondering, am I going to see those billboards anytime soon down here or what? Uh, not yet. Maybe another year or so you'll see them in Massachusetts. <laughs> All right. I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know. So Anyway, I see that you know, Amazon's been going up like crazy, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if I was a dog and I had to go and order stuff online, I want to go to Amazon to go to Chewy. 
Yeah. So I wonder how Chewy is as a stock. Because I dollar cost average it into it every week. I have an app on my phone. Right. And um, it's been doing pretty well, but I wanted your opinion on it. Uh, do you have dogs, by the way? Uh, no, but I have a bunny. <laughs> do they have, a have bunny, bunny food on Chewy or is it just for dogs? <laughs> no, they have all kinds of stuff on Chewy. Okay. Do you use I it? Mean, no, I'm, I mean, I, I, no, I haven't actually because, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, they use FedEx to deliver, and I work for the post office. I'm delivering mail right now, so you know I don't want to you know use the competition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jeff, you're in Massachusetts. How'd you hear about the show? I, well, I, I've called it a few times. I um, you have, I've been yeah. listening to you guys for a couple of years now, so okay. um, I try to go to different apps because I, I used to be tuned in, then I go to other places, and and so um, and now that you moved, it's great because you guys are two hours, so that's awesome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> be sure to tell your friends and neighbors about it so they can call in as well. So, but uh, let's I, take a I, I, I tell my I tell my customers all the time about you guys. <laughs> oh, we love that. We love that. Thank you, there, Jeff. And we love your humor, yeah. by the way, too. So, all right. So oh, let's look at <laughs> look at Chewy here for you. They're simple as C H W Y. Unfortunately, I was kind of excited about this because I know they've been out for a while. I thought I'd see more numbers, but I'm not seeing very much here. Uh, but they have no PE ratio at this point in time. Doesn't surprise me because they don't have earnings. They do have price of sales of 6.2, about double the industry at 2.6. No price to tangible book value, which doesn't surprise me, but no price to cash flow either. So I'm not sure how well this company is doing financially. Now, we we do see that their sales did climb by 41% versus the industry up 14.4. Earnings have risen by 32.5 versus 12.8 for the industry. And they do have a current ratio of 0.86. That's okay. The the interest is at 1.1, but no debt to equity. So I don't know if they don't have equity or if they've got too much debt or no debt, but it could be a problem with that. I, I think my guess is they probably don't have any equity, and I'll look at that while Chase is looking at the numbers in a minute. Uh, no return on equity. Uh, net profit margin, negative 2.7 versus a positive 3.3. We do see that receivable turnover, very good, 67 versus 31. And inventory turnover, also very good, Seven point. I'm sorry, 12.6 versus 7.4. Do they have earnings going forward, Chase? Well, to start here with Chewy, uh, the current price is $96.87. 52-week low here, $20.62, and 52-week high, $109.73. Now, I will say I think this stock is benefiting from uh, two, two major trends. Number one is kind of the at-home trend where you know people maybe want to order online more right now, which is benefiting Chewy's marketplace. And also, number two, is we know a lot of people got pets during the pandemic, so a lot more people need to find pet food. So I, I think that's kind of why they're benefiting here. Now, I don't like to do trend investing. It, it, it's momentum investing. It, it can work for the short term, but long term, I do worry. I mean, the company's estimated earnings per share in 2022 now is still a loss of $0.09. Cents. So they're not making money, and, and they're kind of hoping still for that growth. But is that growth going to be there? I'm not sure. I think they've benefited a lot and pulled forward some demand during this pandemic. But I think when things reopen, people might start going back to the stores to get dog food, which might hurt them, especially on cost. I don't know how they compare to, let's say, going to Walmart and getting dog food. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. So, And I did look at the balance sheet here for you. They, they don't have much here at all. Uh, they do have a negative equity of $56 million dollars. That is down from a year ago and it's 389. So they are getting better. But it's kind of interesting because most of their, uh, they don't have any debt, which is positive. But most of the liabilities right now is in accounts payable, 769 million in accounts payable. Then something else that worries me is other long term liabilities of 381 million. And that's up from 237 million 
uh, a year ago. So I, I, I would want to know what those other long-term liabilities are and their accounts payable. I mean, why is that so strange? Um, and I like the concept of the company, but financially I can't say it's a buy because they have issues. And, and I, I was kind of looking at the balance sheet. Did they have earnings going no, forward? No, no earnings going forward, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I will say congratulations on making uh, a profit on it. But there's no reason uh, we can tell you, like, yes, this is great. Hold on to it. It's going to go higher. It could, but also could go that way of, you know. And I, I know my mom uses the service. She loves the Chewy, and it's so easy, and she, she likes how it works. But I, I just, with the, the lack of earnings, I just don't know if it's worth the nibble here, uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's throwing me a bone here. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, guys. That's something for me to chew on, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks for calling, and and, and good okay, luck, guys. Good luck with the uh, the chewy there. Let us know what you do. Alrighty. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have okay, a good Jeff. one. You too. Bye bye. Yep. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And Jason, I just want to bring up. I mean, Jeff brought up you know where he listens to us. I mean, we are the smart investing shows on so many different places. When people say where you can listen, I. I usually tell the different stations, uh, you know, radio.com. I mean, I, I can't even know the, the, the multiple places that the show is on now. Our website. We always put the podcast on our website, yeah. smartinvesting2000.com. We're on, you know, Apple Podcasts. So if you miss the show and you're like, oh, gosh, I really heard what Jeff was right. saying about Chewy. What do they actually think about Chewy? You can always go back and listen to the podcast. We're on Spotify, uh, the Google Play Store as well. Yeah. So tune in is another one. I mean, there, there's a lot of places. If you're having issues finding us, let us know. And we'll, we'll let you know uh, all the places you can find us. Uh, you may not know the answer to this question, but I mean, can they fast forward on the uh, the, yes. the podcast? Oh, they, they can. So if they want to hear something or like, oh, those are joking around too much or that I don't care about that. Oh, Tesla topic. again here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Brennan, you have to bring some Tesla. <laughs> uh, I'm done with Tesla. I want to get past that. So they can fast forward. So they, they can do that. So they can really listen to that. And I, and I know I do. Um, and, and actually, I, I, I didn't get to do it for Chuck Jaffe, who is a gentleman back east. And I've done his show many times. He actually runs, I guess, his podcast. People run it two times. But he did say, well, when Brent Wilsey's on, uh, you may not want to do that because Brent can talk fast. I get so excited, <laughs> I start talking fast. So, but um, all right. So the second hour of the show is uh, coming up. Eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. All phone lines are open, so if you're calling now, you'll be first up. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. Give that unbiased, no strings attached, firm opinion about what you want to talk about. Do you have something, Chase? Yeah, I was going to say probably second half, too. We did get a question kind of on, around dividends. So we'll, we'll speak a little bit on dividends. I know that's an important kind of strategy people use when they're looking at investing. So we want to have a little conversation about that. Very important. Yeah, you look at how to invest, not just falling for the dividend, of course. So we'll, we'll have a good conversation around that that topic as well. Yeah. If you have other topics, because, again, we, we do like to talk about business and so forth. But there's some new investors out there, and they may not understand dividends. They may not understand, you know, other things. Uh that's what we're here for, to talk about investing. And you may not like the answers we give because every answer we give is based on true, sound fundamentals on how we've invested and how I've invested for 40 years. And I'll tell you a little secret. We have no bias in it. I, why we tell you we hate Tesla and we've been wrong on Tesla? I have no bias in it. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not shorting the stock. I'm not, yeah. And even if I was shorting the stock, I don't think I could convince that many people to actually have a big impact on it with $880 billion market cap. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We, we just tell you the way it is, the truth it is about fundamental investing, worked for hundreds of years, 
I know it continues to work. So, all right, stay tuned for the second hour of Smart Investing Show. We'll be back. And again, phone number is 866-577-2473. Stay with us. is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.